This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and t- today is what? Oh, man. Oh, my God. Kids, gather around because today's our annual look into Len Penzo's magic eight ball that predicts the future with a Amazing inaccuracy. On today's show, we'll relive the events of the last year and see what lessons we learned. And we'll make some new predictions about the Roaring Twenties. Today, we welcome, from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. And from this podcast, OG. Plus, from LenPenzo.com, you're not going to believe it, it's Ryan Seacrest. What's that? And we couldn't get him again. Still sleeping? Oh, that guy's so lazy. Okay, I guess we're going to have to just stick with Len Penzo. Oh, and though, we're going to magnify someone's money with special guest, the head of Magnify Money, Brian Karimzad. And just because you've been so good, we'll knock off our first Friday FinTech segment of 2020 by wondering aloud about where the future's headed for financial technology with Ryan Falvey from Financial Ventures Studio. And now, the guy who got confused when they said there'd be an eight ball today, Joe Salcihai. There isn't pool? This is a basement. Aren't you supposed to have a pool table in the basement? Hey, everybody, welcome to our second show of the new year. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And 
It is our favorite episode. By the way, this is the first episode we've done in a long time where I've had emails from people thinking they missed it because they thought that we did it over the holiday season and we didn't do it. They're like, I think I, when did the, when did the magic eight ball episode come out? Well, it's coming out right now because across the card table from me, ready to challenge the wisdom of the eight ball. It's Mr. OG. It's funny that you thought it was pool. Cause I thought eight ball was something else. Oh, you thought it was, uh, not pool, not pool. That's very, very <laughs> something, not pool. Let's not even go there. Let's just let let's just let that go away. Swing and a miss. Yes, it's a common tattoo. <laughs> and, and eight balls a common tattoo. It is. Yes, it's a common tattoo. In fact, I think Lisa Lopez from TLC, the late Lisa Lopez from TLC, had an eight, a tattoo of a an eight ball. How the hell do you know that? Exactly. <laughs> like, out of yeah. all the people to bring that up, well, you know, on Star Wars, Ray really is. <laughs> You know, I don't know much pop culture trivia, but what I do know is extremely obscure. And that voice right there is the one and only Paula Pant from Afford Anything. I always refer to the game as billiards rather than pool, because pool makes me think of a swimming pool, whereas billiards is that green table with the balls. I'm sure that's what OG thought it was. He thought they were talking about swimming pools. Yes. And the guy who, we got to find out if he has a swimming pool in the bunker. It's Mr. Len Penzo. No, but I have a moat around the bunker. Of course you do. An alligator-filled moat. Yes. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you, man. Uh, So you defended the speakeasy uh, fairly well uh, on January 1st. I I thought I did. I thought I did a good job there. I think Doug got a little uh, out of hand, but uh, yeah. On this show? We did. It's (laughs) absolutely horrible. Well, we're going to- You didn't see that password thing. (laughs) I, I, I was glad I only had to hear it. Hey, guess what, everybody? We got a great show today. We got Len, Paula, OG, and we've got Len's Magic 8-Ball. So let's get this party started. So for those of you who are new to this shindig, here's what we do every year. We ask our Magic 8-Ball, I say ours liberally because uh, Mr. Penzo spent the uh, $6.99 to buy it. So, sixteen ninety nine. Well, remember we upgraded this year, Joe. We've got the talking. You didn't send us the expense for that, the receipt, so we can pay you for for that thing. You got to make sure. I we... didn't know. I can I do that? Absolutely, you can, can try. All right, yeah, definitely try to send it in. <laughs> Len, I'm surprised you didn't reimbursed. just. I'm surprised you didn't just try to make one. <laughs> You know, I could have, I guess. It, you, you probably could have, Mr. Engineer. It would have been better because I could have had OG's voice as the, or actually Doug's voice would have been even even more uh, Well, <laughs> but think about what the answers would have been. If it's OG, over and over, it would have just said, outcome doubtful. <laughs> Sha, as if. <laughs> every, every single time. <laughs> like, I don't know if I like this eight ball. Before we get started, I want to rewind to this little topic that we... Uh, that well, Len, you kicked off with this. I think maybe you'd had too much New Year's cheer before you started started this well, last year. Well, what are you talking about, Joe? I don't remember. Listen, listen to this. And by the way, before we go any further, I'm going to uh, right now. I'm going to go on the record. Lenpenzo.com will donate fifty dollars for every correct answer next year. What? Wow. <laughs> hey, hey, remember that, Len? <laughs> no, no, I don't. 
How how many cold? Yes, I do. How many cold schlitzes had you had before you made that prediction? Oh, I'm sure I had a few. A few too yes, many. I'm sure. A few too many PBRs before you got all crazy. Because the Limpenzo I know would have said, "I'm going to donate four dollars for every every right." <laughs> I'm answer. just glad I didn't slip and say five hundred dollars. That is good. I did go to a charity auction once where I bid on something after they'd filled us full of wine. And I, this is horrible, but I had to write them the next day and tell them, <laughs> I can't Psych. do that. My bad. I, I did Listen, that. You can try to cash that check or we can just agree on a number that's going to maybe make us all a little bit more comfortable when we go. To I did. Bed. I made them a nice donation because I felt horrible, but I'm like, there is no way in hell. But what a great trick for a charity. Hey, go to this wine tasting thing. And once everybody has had maybe a few too many, let's start bidding on expensive stuff. Joe's hand and goes And you get in the people air. to match. You get people to match your bid. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's what happened. I remember I raised my hand because a friend of mine had his and I thought that somebody else was going to bid higher. And then nobody bid higher. And Cheryl's like, what the hell did you do? Like, whoops. And that's what Lempenzo did here last year. 50 bucks. He thought OG was going to say 60. Then Paula was going to say 75. We just, we just, just hung him out to dry. But, but that means there's a little pressure on the eight ball this year, Len. Yeah. A little pressure on me too. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe on... it's the first time ever I've, I've been rooting against my eight ball. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> maybe it's, maybe it's on I'm your, just uh, kidding. a little pressure on your wallet. No, I'm hoping, actually, let's, I'm hoping for a perfect score. That would be great. All right, here we go. So, Paula, last year, we kicked it off with you. Let's uh, go back in time and listen to your first question last year. Paula, let's start with you. Kick us off. 2019, what do we want to ask the eight ball? Will Harry and Meghan have a son? We know that Meghan Markle is pregnant. The baby is going to be born in 2019. Will it be a boy? Well, before we ask uh, Len what the eight ball said, uh, Paula, what happened there? Yes, Harry and Meghan did have a boy, and his name is Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor. And uh, <laughs> what's easy his- for you to say? <laughs> <laughs> that's prove me wrong. That's only Len. Uh, uh, two more middle names than you have. Well, you know, I think I went to a school with a Mountbatten once. <laughs> Actually, Mountbatten Windsor is a hyphenated last name, so he only has one middle name. I thought you climbed Mountbatten, didn't you? <laughs> you, I suppose you might. You could climb almost any mountain. Mount- well, you <laughs> might not be able to. Oh, easy. A person could. Well, I'm sitting right here, Paula. Well, <laughs> we just started the podcast and the old guy joke's starting already. So it did happen. Let's see if the eight ball predicted it. Len? Okay, here we go. See, it's getting dark here, so I have to put my uh, flashlight on. <laughs> Reply, Hazy. Try again. We're, Sorry, we're, yes. uh, wait. And by the way, this starts a theme that we're going to hear throughout the podcast of uh, Eight Ball trying to get off the hook. But let's go back. Len, you have to put your flashlight on. Your your it's bunker dark. doesn't have overhead light. My eight ball is not lit up. I didn't buy the expensive eight ball. This is I know, the, this but the room doesn't have lights. Like, do you do you not have electricity where you are? Uh, I'm trying to keep the ambiance here. I'm trying to there's an ambiance. Okay, let's see the the bunker uh, ambiance. It's it's just, it, it says it says outlook good. Outlook good. Harry outlook and Megan are good. having a. And it got off on the right foot, Paula. 
That's excellent. So that means the eight ball got it right. And Len's net worth is minus $50. (laughs) Let's talk about this though. I'm not really concerned about the Royal family, but I am concerned. A lot of people that listen to the show might've had kids last year, right? Now, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe Harry and Megan don't have to worry about like college being covered. (laughs) Right. Or health insurance. Yes. Len, what were some things that surprised you when when your two children were born? Financially surprised you. (laughs) I was going to say, well, they didn't look anything like me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole different show. <laughs> uh, that, that's uh, that, that after after your kids are born, you went on uh, what's that guy's name? Um, I went on the rampage looking for the milkman. That's what I. That's what I did. Maury Povich. Maury Povich. <laughs> you are not the father. <laughs> no, that's not very nice. No, but seriously, you know what? Hey, let me tell you, the, the kids cost money at every stage of life, as you know, Joe, every and you stage. know, OG. Every stage. And I mean, when you're first born, you get your first kick in the gut with the diapers and the form. Well, if you're breastfeeding, you don't have formula. We went through, uh, we did not do the breastfeeding. So we did the formula, Len which tried. is very expensive Len, as well. Len so, tr- I mean, and it kicks you, it's a kick to the gut. Len tried to do the breastfeeding and he just couldn't get it to work. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe not. Uh, first thing, OG, that uh, you thought financially when you had kids, same thoughts? Yeah, I always think that uh, when you're having kids, different people think different things. Like, I just worried, like, how the heck am I going to pay for all this? That's all I was thinking about. Everything. And it's still, just like Len said, I mean, today, major problem in the OG household. My 10-year-old's Xbox ran out of storage space. And he was just distraught because he has two new games to download, but it means we're deleting another game that he's wanting to play. And so this struggle of good versus evil is just this never-ending battle Turns out the solution is an $80 four terabyte hard drive. Oh my God. <laughs> Boom. Problem solved. OG superstar. And better yet, it was Amazon Prime. So it came in like two hours and I look like a hero. Or there's, a, or there's a, a different solution, which is kid choose. Decisions are hard. Choose one. Hey, hey, let me give you another. Hey, and you don't think you're ever going to get out of this. And there's no there's no such thing as a safe hobby for your kids either. I'm going to tell you about my daughter. She got into when she got into a ninth grade, she wanted to be on the flag team, the flag girls. I thought, oh, well, that's a great hobby. You know, while she's in school, she can be part of the flag team and what they call color guard. And it was great. And then the bills started coming in. Believe it or not, I was spending four thousand dollars a year Uniforms. for the color guard at a public four, school yep at a public school for th- so over over four years i spent sixteen thousand dollars on color guard <laughs> wow wow boy i thought swimming was going to be inexpensive right you need a bathing suit don't need anything else holy cow the constant money coming out my wallet paula what's the best advice that you've always had for young parents when you do your ask paula episodes you know, oftentimes before a couple has kids, when they when they make a decision to buy a house or to purchase a car or any types of those decisions, they will make that decision on having two incomes. But if they think that they might reduce to one income or one and a half incomes at some point in the future, then what I tell them is, hey, plan your budget as though you only have one income and 
start living like that now and saving the other one. That way you get used to living on one income and you accumulate the savings of the other person's income so that if you do in the future reduce down to one or one and a half incomes, you'll be prepped for it. You know, you won't like have a mortgage that that you took out five years ago that was premised on the idea of dual income. Well, I like doing that even if you don't have children, you know, living Mm -hmm. on whatever. You you see these football players, Len, uh, you might have seen this before, these football players that that bank their salary and live off the endorsements or live off the endorsements and like even developing these new income streams, even if you're single and saving the extra income stream, a great idea. That's a fantastic idea. And if you keep track of something, it's amazing how much your side income will bring in over the course of 10, 20 years. I mean, it, it is really a significant figure. So uh, yeah, don't discount, even if it's coming in a little bits and drabs at a time, it really does add up. Let's uh, see what OG's got here as the second question for the eight ball. A lot of stuff going on these days about Elon Musk just launched the thing into space and did the stuff with the trying to get people on Mars and all that sort of stuff. SpaceX, I guess, right? But my question is about Tesla, because he runs his mouth a lot about Tesla. Really, right now, 50-50, is Tesla going to be bankrupt at the end of next year? And it turns out that not only, OG, was Tesla not bankrupt, Tesla had a hell of a last month of the year. Those really super ugly trucks. Bringing the share price up on Tesla. Bulletproof glass, but not rockproof. Not, not at all, at all rockproof. You cannot throw a leaded weight. You can throw, you can do that, but not a speeding bullet. So, uh, yep. Let's see. I don't know anything about Tesla. I go back and forth on their uh, cars, whether or not they're highly cool or are they not cool? Are they going to blow up? You know, do they just smash into things? And then I just kind of wonder, you know, it's really expensive, but. But since it's mainly electronics, is it super upgradable over a long period of time? Or is it like any other vehicle where, you know, after a while, the tech just kind of, you got to get a new one, just wears out, you know, and you just spent 50% more for a car. I don't know. It, it, Any ideas on that, Mr. Engineer? You're giggling. You must have like three Teslas or something. That's why you're... No, I precisely, I have no Teslas. One, I can't afford a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> for one thing. See, that's what I mean. But uh, you know what scares me really is the batteries. What, what happens when those batteries wear out? You know, yeah, they go let boom. alone that, you know, that's going to get expensive all by you itself. You can't take those things on an airplane because they just randomly start on fire on occasion. But apparently mm-hmm. it's cool to like have underneath your behind as you're barreling down the road at 90 miles an hour playing on your phone because it's on autopilot. Well, so. it is. well some people though really believe in Tesla because just looking at the chart here, and in uh, October, trading at about 250. Uh, as we record this, the day before it's live, uh, trading at 430. So yeah. Tesla in the last two so months. It, so, it, so it more than doubled in three months. Monster, okay. uh, not quite yeah. double, yeah, but but nice math, Mister Engineer. But what not- was it at the beginning? <laughs> what was it at the beginning of the year? Did it get, did it start and then go down and then come back up again? What was uh, it at? Uh, at the, uh, uh, this time last year, it was trading at about 300. Went up very early in the year with the big stock market rally about to 315. Cratered in June was down around 180 bucks. So if you bought it then at 180 bucks, should have bought like a whole bunch of options. I don't know, was that 180, huh? Yeah. Well, let's see if the speaking of buying an option, let's see if the eight ball needed to buy an option or if it got this one right. I actually predicted that they'd be bankrupt in 2020. 
So oh. you're, you want to go next year. So let's see what the eight balls. I'm, I'm not predicting it. I'm asking that. whether or not. The oh, eight I'm ball predicting. It. I'm oh, predicting. Okay. Here we go. Uh, signs point to yes. Ooh. Well, there we go. Uh, eight ball. Well, I guess the eight ball got that one wrong. Eight ball got it wrong, but I, let's not talk specifically about Tesla. Let's talk about individual stocks and volatility because it seems though, OG, I mean, is it surprising because with a stock that has had, first of all, you're buying one stock and not buying an index. Number two is this is a company that's largely built on speculation. So if you hear your buddy at work talk about this stock that's supposedly going to hit it, you should expect that something like this would happen. It's either going to bankrupt or go double. And such is the life, I think, with any individual stock purchase. You could say the same thing for GM. I mean, there was years ago when there was a good chance that that was going to happen. Or, you know, that's why I think it's funny when people think, look, you know, look at individual stocks or whatever, and they say, oh, but I'll never trade it. I'll hold it forever. You know, this is a, this is an investment that, you know, you can keep forever. It's like, how much has the, I don't know the data on it, but how much has like the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones turned over, over your lifetime? You know, there are no companies that are forever. I mean, even uh, what's his name from Amazon has said that he fully expects Amazon to not be a thing in 20 years. Yeah. He's like, it's great now. We've got a good company now, but someone's going to come and beat us at our own game and do something different in a couple of decades. So, Paula, did you have Tesla in your portfolio? I do. Yes, I have about uh, what's grown to be about $10,000 in Tesla stock. And I should say as a disclaimer, I am not a fan of individual stock picking. Um, but I you're have, digging this one. Right? Like <laughs> Unless I, I have you're a buying Tesla. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I have a Robinhood account with, um, I think, around somewhere between twenty to 25000 in it. And that's just my little fun fund of individual stock picking. Um, and Tesla has, you know, has grown to be a big chunk of that. So I got lucky on Tesla. But... Big disclaimer, I'm not a fan of individual stock picking. Index funds are the way to go. This is just a, a tiny little fun fund. But let's talk about this because this is mm-hmm. interesting to me. Now it's grown where it's almost half of your Playpen account. Exactly. So what are you thinking? Are you, go- are you thinking sell? Or are you thinking hold? What, what's your thought process on uh, this or any in- other individual stock? You know, I'm not totally sure. I, I have been thinking about that lately. A part of me is inclined to sell half and hold the other half. So I don't know. That's probably the way that I'm leaning right now, but I, but I'm but the jury is still out. Yeah, Len, if you own Tesla instead of gold, what would you be doing right now? I would not be on this show and I would be somewhere <laughs> on um he I would, would probably be on a beach somewhere in the Caribbean. <laughs> he would have cashed he would have cashed out Paula's money already. <laughs> probably. Well, actually, you know, it just gets me Paula, you're supposed to have an exit strategy. You when you know, bought right? that stock, you should have said, you know what, wherever you bought it at, would you say you bought it at? I don't know what you bought it at. But I bought it at like around 200 or so. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, you know, you know, you just said, hey, when this thing gets to 300, I'm selling half of it and, I, and I'm putting, you know, that's what I, that's, that's what I'd have done. So, yes, I would have been at a, I would have been on a beach somewhere, um, uh, Joe. But let me just say this. That was a great point OG made about, or I guess actually it was uh, Jeff Bezos made it about his own company, about he doesn't know if it's going to be around in 20 years. I mean, do you remember GE just, it was like 20 years ago, GE was the biggest company on the planet. Right. And yep. nobody, I, I could not fathom 
that it would be where it's at now. It's fallen quite a, quite a ways, and I, I don't think it's going to be anywhere in another five years. Same with Sears Roebuck going even further oh, yeah. back. I mean, there was a time when Sears Roebuck was the company, and now it's a dinosaur. It's, it's not even – it's out of business, isn't it? Or is it might be a few stores around. But, yeah, so people shaking their heads at Amazon thinking, well, Amazon's – no way. Amazon will always be here. I guarantee you it will not. Airlines. Yeah. yeah, any of those companies – but you've heard that from they're people. just a leadership or two away from not keeping up with the times and and all of a sudden off you go. I, mean, I know when you're young, when you're young, it's it's so hard to think that, oh, and, you know, this won't be here. But it, it just over the goodness of time. Trust me, all this stuff goes away. <laughs> well, let's take a look at the different a different part of the stock market. I asked a question about emerging markets. This is from uh, Soham says, will. Russia, will the Russian stock market, ticker ERUS, outperform the Saudi Arabian market, KSA, <laughs> in, in 2019? Holy smokes. I thought that All was, right. I thought that Here was we go. a pretty funny one. Everybody was uh, was reacting to that because last year there was a bunch of political stuff going on. So a little bit of political uh, uh, pot stirring by people in the basement there. But emerging markets. Good thing there's no political stuff going on. Anymore. There's nothing. <laughs> that is luckily all gone. Product of the last decade. Yes. We're on to new, better times. All happiness. New and better things. All the time. <laughs> yes. No politics. Zero. No discord at all. No. Anywhere. Uh, let's see what the eight ball said. By the way, before we get to that, uh, here's what happened. The Russian stock market did very, very, very well. And the Saudi Arabian stock market barely made a gain, barely made a gain. But so, did Russia do better than Tesla? Uh, I don't think it did, actually. Uh, I think okay. Russia, off the top of my head, somewhere in the 28, 29%. I should have that. Oh, <laughs> be, paltry. Be amazing paltry. if I pulled that up. They should have had Paula picking stocks for them. <laughs> Trust me. Um, <laughs> the... Chance good result is no indicator of talent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if the eight ball thought that Russia was going to outperform. Will Russia outperform Saudi Arabia? <laughs> <laughs> I love the confidence here. Without a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. Oh, you could have banked Russia. on that one because... It happened. Wrong about Tesla, but right about emerging markets. But here's the thing. So, Paula, you were talking earlier about not liking individual stocks, partly because of this volatility reason, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. But is it the same thing if you're calling your shot with emerging markets? If you say, hey, Saudi Arabia versus Russia or Thailand or whatever emerging market you like? I mean, I think emerging markets as an asset class, like the entire asset class of emerging markets, it makes sense to put a, a portion of your portfolio there if your risk tolerance and timeline are okay with that. But when we get down to picking specific countries, I mean, the more specific your bet, the greater the chance that you might not get it right. So I think picking specific countries is probably a better practice than going drilling down into specific companies. But I would encourage people to instead buy the index asset class of emerging markets or frontier markets or even or total international, you know, whichever one of those or whichever combination of those fits their portfolio best. Len, do you uh, search the world for the country with the biggest uh, the biggest <laughs> natural resource supply? <laughs> 
No, I, you know what? I don't, I don't get that diversified. <laughs> I, I don't go into other countries or I don't dabble in emerging markets. I know, uh, for example, Peter Schiff's a big uh, advocate of emerging markets see, and, and, see, and that's uh, what even I was, foreign markets, but I, I don't, I don't touch that stuff. Just based on your general view of the world, I thought you'd be an emerging markets kind of guy too, but not. I, I know. I'm just not comfortable. I, I you know what? I don't know what's going on in the other, in the rest of the world enough to be confident. I, so I, I just rather not play there. It's interesting. I like the fact that you want to be educated before you, before yeah. you call me crazy, getting educated on my investments. OG, what percentage of emerging markets do you see should probably be in somebody's portfolio? Does that all depend on risk tolerance? Well, I think that the overall percentage of, of stocks versus not stocks is based on risk tolerance. As far as the uh, allocation of how much to emerging markets, I think this is where you get into making bets. If you if you do anything other than weight your portfolio based on what's really going on in terms of production across the world, then you're effectively market timing. So if you say, I'm going to exclude China, or I'm going to double more more likely people say, well, I'm going to double up on China. Well then you're 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 suggesting, hey, I've got some information that suggests that I might make a better decision than quote unquote the broad market. And for the vast majority of people, that's probably, uh, you know, not true. So, so I would say that the weighting toward any position for that matter should be equal to its relative output. Of course, in the, you know, for most U S investors, for most investors anyway, across the world, you have quite a substantial amount of home bias. Yeah. No offense, Len. You just kind of said that you do. No, but, you're absolutely uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. You know, they they look at any country. You ask Germans how they invest, and most of their investments are in Germany. You ask Norwegians how they invest, most of their investments are in Norway, you know, companies centered there. So it's not uncommon. But I think that anything, anytime you take a take a bet at that level, you're effectively saying, well, I have some information, or I think I have some information that leads me to be able to make better decisions. So your amount of Canadian stock should be equal to the amount of output that Canada companies have in the world, which incidentally is equal to China. Most people don't know that. Give me that stat again. What the hell did you say? <laughs> I'm queuing up the next, the next question. I just said that the output of Canada is oh. similar to the output of China. Ah. But most people would say, oh, well, I should have more of my money in China because China's a bigger economy or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's not entirely true. Right. Okay, there. The Canadian's doing very well. Yeah. Don't you know? Uh, let's, once again, bad Canadian accents for the loss. Uh, so we talked about Tesla, kind of like playing the lottery a little bit. And then we talked about emerging markets, maybe again playing the lottery. So Len just goes right to the, right to the juggler here. It was this uh, 2018 had a one billion dollar lottery jackpot, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't that wasn't that this year? Wasn't there a one billion dollar? Might have been two of them. Those are two. Okay, I'm gonna. Uh, well, my question is going to be this year or, or in 2019. Will there be another billion dollar jackpot? Oh, there's a good one. In 2019, winner. Obviously, I guess they'll have to be a winner eventually. So a billion dollar winner. And will I win? And with, <laughs> that's it. no, you have to ask that question on your own. Well, what we know is that OG 
didn't win, but not only did you not win OG, nobody, was this basically a case of if OG can't win, nobody can win? Isn't that how all life is? <laughs> that, 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 that probably, no, ain't nobody winning. That probably is it. Len, nobody did win. Yeah, I'm actually shocked. Yeah. I, I really am. I, I didn't, uh, you know, I thought after the, the first two billion dollar winners that would just, uh, you know, people would really be jumping in. But, you know, I guess it, it didn't happen yeah. either that or I guess the Powerballs hit sooner than Often the billion enough. dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's see if the eight ball got it right that there wasn't a winner. As I see it, yes. Uh, so the eight ball now, uh, two and two, 500 uh, mark. Not that wonderful. Good news is you're only down a hundred bucks there, Mr. Penzo. I said my wallet is not so bruised no, at this point. No, it isn't. Let's talk a little bit for just a second about the lottery. Do any of you guys actually play the lottery? No, I don't. But my parents did when I was a kid. So as a kid, every single week they bought a lottery ticket and I grew up completely normalized to that behavior. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I uh, learned that a lottery is, you know, essentially a tax for people who are bad at probability. <laughs> what Do you remember where you got that data? I don't remember specifically. I think generally as I started reading and learning more about personal finance, I encountered the I, the notion that most millionaires, most rich people uh, don't play the lottery. And of course, that led to the question of why and, you know, then led to like seeing what the odds of winning the lottery are and then asking yourself, is it worth the time and money investment? Oh, gee, what's the name of that great restaurant in Chicago that you and I have talked about before? The one um, they also own the Avia. Alinea. Yeah, Alinea. Grant Atchison's uh, partner, Grant, is the chef at Alinea. His partner was on the Tim Ferriss show. I don't have the the name in front of me, but but I'll have the link in our show notes. This was this was a fantastic interview. And and Paula, to your point, he talked about this. He said that Vegas. Vegas is for people who don't know probabilities in math. And even when I was listening to that, I thought Vegas, everybody hears Vegas is like a 49.5% chance of winning, right? I mean, it's, it is very close to 50-50 when you go to Vegas that you'll win, mm-hmm. which means that millionaires and multimillionaires look at 50-50 as bad odds. And mm-hmm. like you growing up, I would think most people think that having a business is 50-50, becoming a millionaire is 50-50. Like we kind of think of our life as 50-50. People might emotionally feel that way, but if you start your own business, there are things that you can actively do to improve your odds of success. Yeah. Whereas when you are pulling the the lever at a slot machine, there's nothing you can do. You are in a game that has a predetermined payout schedule that has a negative expected value for the player. Yeah. Yeah. I think about Len, the way like professional poker players play poker. When I first was exposed to poker, I thought that I thought, Hey, you know, I'll, I got a pretty good hand. I got a decent hand. I got an okay hand. Little did I know when I started studying professional poker players, it's all math. Like the whole thing is a math equation and uh, differentiating between making a good decision to go all in on a hand versus the outcome of that hand where sometimes you lose, even though you make great decisions is very difficult for most people. Yeah. Well, let's say, I mean, poker is a skill and the only way casinos make money on poker, by the way, is they skim money out of the pot. Out right? of every, out of so, all the hands. Yeah. So the best poker players understand the probabilities and the odds and the risks and they act on those. So uh, way different than, 
putting uh, you know a hundred dollars on red on the roulette table or or what have you. So, but I got to ask you, when it went to a billion dollars over a year ago, did you play that day? Uh, no, I didn't actually. And usually I do when it gets over, you know, when it gets really high, I play it because you know, what the, Hey, yeah. well, you know, what the, Hey, now what always gets me is the people that'll buy a hundred tickets versus one ticket. You know, you do, you do the odds, the extra 99 tickets don't really appreciably increase your chances of winning. So think about that folks, Just one ticket or a hundred ticket. It's almost the same odds. Waste a dollar to dream instead of wasting 10 bucks or a hundred bucks. <laughs> still, the odds are still almost nothing. Yeah. So yeah, crazy. Uh, I will say real quick, real quick. I just got you know my work. There was a group at my work that actually did win the California lottery when it first started back. Uh, gosh, twenty five years ago now, and uh, yeah, there's about twenty or thirty of them, and they all split the money, and uh, they received. Uh, I think they were receiving like ten or eleven thousand dollars a year for twenty years. Wow. Just before you could do a lump sum. What do they, did they, so did they all sign the ticket together? Is that the way that works? So they set up a company and. I I don't know. I just know. And there was no arguments. It was all cool. I know they got a lawyer to to work out the pay, you know, make sure nobody was going to cheat anybody after the fact. But yeah, they just, uh, it was enough for a good vacation, I guess, is what one of my buddies who was in that group said, you know, for 20 years. Hey, that's a, a, a free vacation. A year for 20 years, yeah. not bad. Yeah. Uh, at the end of round one, we've got uh, eight ball, two right and two incorrect. Let's go to our second round of questions. Paula kicked it off with this one. Paula, let's march into round two. What's your second question? Well, speaking of marching, so Meghan Markle's due date is allegedly end of March, beginning of April. So my question to the Magic 8-Ball is, will the baby be born after, and I just need to pick a date since it has to be a yes or no question. Will the baby be born after March 22nd? Am I shaking this right, OG? Can you see? This is the first year, by the way, Paula's done two royal family <laughs> questions. <laughs> I would have asked all three, except I have to honor the, the time-honored tradition of at least one related to South America. All right. So before we get the answer, Paula, born before or after March 22nd? Oh, dear. Um, born after March 22nd. Well, well after yes. uh, March 22nd. Was so, it May? Was it May? It was May. Yes. Thanks for making us look it up, Len. We're trying to get this show done. <laughs> Come on. Get out of here at a reasonable hour. Uh, let's let's see what the eight ball thought. As <laughs> I see it, yes. <sighs> so they're having a boy and he's going to be born after March 22nd, according to the Magic Eight Ball. Eight ball for now is a genius in round two. It had its warm up 50-50 in the first round. Just nailed it. This is interesting to me. The piece of this question, Paul, that's interesting to me is this. When people have a baby, you've got nine months where, you you know, maybe seven months, maybe eight months. But you've got a period of time where you know that that's happening. Like you've got this adjustment period. Something I really like telling people to do is to live as if as if the baby's already here. So to, you know, Len and OG were talking about the pain earlier, like live as if it's already here or get up three times a night, just go to (laughs) buy $20 packs of diapers at random times throughout the, throughout the day. Yes. Do all that. That's what, that's what Paula, do you do that? Do you go to the store and buy three packs of random diapers just for no reason? Just in case, just in case someday. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
But this idea. That's what, what Amazon is for. <laughs> but have you ever done that in your life where you knew there was an expense coming up, Paula? So you started saving the extra money, living as if it were already there? Hmm. I mean, I would say. Well, I think an HSA is a pretty good example of that. Like, you know that one day you're going to have some health expenses. And so as you contribute money to an HSA, you're essentially prepaying for the giant medical bill that's going to come up at some point in the future, even though you don't know what it will be or when it will be. I know you like this, OG, when people are asking you if they can afford a bigger house. Weren't you the one that told me that, that you have people then save the extra money, the bigger mortgage and stuff into a savings account? I was going to say that you told me that, but since I probably you did think that uh, the one that came up with that, I'll take it. But no, you should. I mean, just like with anything, I think once you get past a certain amount of living expenses, you know, once your income provides enough flexibility that you're choosing to go out to eat or whatever, and you have some flexibility, life just expands into whatever you have the money for. It's just like if you automatically save an extra 1% every six months in your 401k, you're not going to notice the 1%. You'll notice it if you're on a lower income side. You know, if you're making 20 or $30,000 a year, that 1% number or 2% or whatever, that's going to be a little bit more noticeable, of course. But once you're kind of past that 70 or 80,000 is what people say is that threshold of like where that kind of happiness number ends, you know, when you're not worried about putting food on the table type stuff, then, you know, if you want to start saving $200 a month, you just have to save $200 a month. The rest of your life will fold in around that. If you want to buy a bigger house, then make it work right now because it's going to have to work in the future. Well, and I like, I like, I think just life expands into it. I do. I totally like this idea of play testing it ahead of time. Cause if you save that extra money into a savings account, that money's just available for later, you know? Yeah. There's no downside. OG lives in Texas. So of course he had to ask this question. I'm going to stay in the uh, money theme for just a little bit. Gas prices right now, pretty mm. pretty special, mm-hmm. pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Oil right now is about $48, $49 a barrel. You can get gas for 2 bucks, give or take, a gallon. Our <laughs> gas price is going to be lower this time next year than they are today. We should just okay, go, so with a, we should go with the price go of oil. You got to go national average. You got to go national average. National average. You probably got to go December 1st. A boil, a barrel of oil. Oh, a barrel or, of oil. A boil, as I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Just shorten things up. Is a barrel of oil going to be less expensive on December 1st than today? Okay. And the answer there, of course, is no. Gas prices uh, higher across the country this year than they were, than they were last year. So uh, let's see what the eight ball said. Two hands on the eight ball this time. Oh, see, there it is. You may rely on it. The eight ball was getting pretty optimistic there. A little heady. Maybe maybe you weren't the only one, OG, that had too much PBR. Maybe the, you know, like PBR. the happy, like the happy drunk eight ball. Did you see that they made like a, like a straight, like a 99 can thing of PBR? No. Just in a row. Like that's like you carried it out like a two by four. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> like some promotional Amazing. stunt. Yeah, it was for it was just like, hey, your in laws are coming. Get one of these. <laughs> you need, need ninety nine cans of PBR. I I gotta stock up because who knows when this vacation's gonna end, right? Yep. Uh, let's talk about gas prices, Len. 
you talk about this stuff that people do where they'll drive across town to save three cents on gas, right? That's a kind of, kind of blog. Yeah, that's, got, that's my, now you're in my territory there. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> yes. That's now we're talking about something I understand. That's right. The stupid yeah, it, stuff. It always gets me the people that'll wait in line at a, at a, uh, you know, a Sam's club or a Costco to save 10 cents a gallon. And they're idling their cars for 30 minutes, right. you know, to save three bucks. So they, they burnt a, uh, you know, a half gallon of gas <laughs> waiting for 30 minutes to save three bucks. Where's so, that? Yeah, just <laughs> where, where, where's that crossover point for you? Is there a crossover point for you where you're like, okay, this is worth it? You know what I would say is value your time. What do you value your time at? Right? I mean, what what is your personal time? What are you worth an hour? Are you worth twenty dollars an hour? Are you worth fifty dollars an hour? Are you worth seventy five dollars an hour? What do you value your time at? And based on that, let's say you value. Let's just say you value your time at a hundred dollars an hour. My goodness, if you're going to sit there for twenty minutes. You know, you've you've spent uh, what one third of a hundred bucks. You spent thirty three bucks waiting in line, yeah. right? Is it worth to save three bucks? Is your if your time's worth a hundred bucks an hour? That's how I do it. Paula, you don't generally sale shop for that reason, isn't that right? Nope, not at all. I go for efficiency. Buy the thing, move on with your life. But is there a point where you see a sale and you go, okay, I'm going to need that in the next six months, and uh, pretty damn good deal, so I'm going to pull the trigger today. Yeah, yeah, certainly. If there's, if I stumble across something that is on sale and I know that I'll need it, like if, you know, toilet paper is on, like if, if Costco has a sale on Charmin toilet paper, right? I'll go ahead and buy an extra bag of that and then just keep it around the house because cool, now I'm supplied for a year. And that actually not only saves money, but it saves time because that's one less thing that I have to replenish or buy again. So assuming that I have the space for it, sure, yeah. I'll stock up on stuff when it's on sale, but I don't actively go looking for those sales. Do you buy it from Mr. Whipple? From who? What? I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> we got her again. Paula, don't squeeze the Charmin. She has no idea what the hell we're talking about. Like, I, I'm oh, about man. to Google this. Oh, boy. Oh, Paula, you don't know what you're missing. I have no idea. Go to YouTube. Oh, Paula, this is from 1970. Herman, the funny-looking one with the mustache. Hey, Whipple. You've been giving the missus a tough time for squeezing Charmin bathroom tissue. But we don't squeeze new Charmin in the store. Yeah. See, there's a sign. A sign. Honey, there's a sign. But, Herman, we can't resist. Charmin's so deep down, squeezably soft. And the soft fragrance is irresistible. Irresistible price, too. Honey, the sign. Everyone squeezes new Charmin here. But that doesn't stop him from mansplaining to his wife over and over again that there's a sign. There is a sign. But, honey, it's irresistible. Don't squeeze the Charmin, Paula. All right. Duly noted. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody sees Paula at Costco squeezing pallets of Charmin. (laughs) Because it's irresistible. They're like, well, you were warned. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. All right. uh, Let's move on. And mine came from a friend of ours in the uh, Basement Facebook group. Mine is going to come from Kimberly in the Basement Facebook group. Will the price of Bitcoin be lower on December 1st than it is today? Boy, we, we, we know what happened there. The price of Bitcoin went through the roof in the last year, but if, if you had money in Bitcoin, uh, you did very, very well the last uh, year. So let's see how that turned out with the eight ball, though. January 4th, will the price of Bitcoin be lower? Ooh, okay. Let's find out. 
Gosh, it's starting to foam up. That's when you know, by the way, that the eight ball's getting drunk. OG, Lens, Lens, eight ball, and Len have had enough when it's starting to foam up. Just saying. Here we go. Back to it. Uh, <laughs> it is decidedly so. Oh boy, it is. <laughs> it is decidedly so. Yep. In round two, here the eight ball, one right, two wrong. So that puts it at three right, four wrong so far. But but let, let's talk about Bitcoin here for a little bit. You believe in this a little more this year after the price went up so much in the last 12 months? Do I believe in it? Yes. No, I do, I do not believe in it. As do, a matter of fact, I advise – my advice has always been much to people who are, might want to speculate against it. I mean it made 94% this year. Sure. But here's what I don't – here's my problem with cryptocurrencies. Didn't make anything. <laughs> That's the well, problem. It isn't the, the, it, it the is, value associated with it increased by some speculative amount. That's correct. Mm-hmm. It is not tangible. And I always give this thought exercise to my readers on even Bitcoin. People say most people say if they're not speculating, they say it's a great alternative to gold. And my question to them, and I have yet to get an answer, is if the price of if the dollar, the purchasing power of the dollar go, went to zero tomorrow. What would a Bitcoin be worth? And the answer, obviously, if you do the math, it's infinity, right? Infinity dollars. A Bitcoin is worth infinity dollars. Well, that means nothing. That means absolutely nothing. You can't go into a bar and say, here's my Bitcoin worth infinity dollars. And that's just proof positive that it is, it's not a rock-solid store of value. As opposed to people say, well, why is it different from gold and silver? Gold and silver are physical objects. They're on the elemental table. And you can value them in terms of weight. So you can always value something in grams of like, for example, a loaf of bread is always a tenth of a gram of gold, right? Regardless of what the value of a dollar is. So that's the big difference between cryptocurrencies and precious metals. Paula, you think similarly that you value uh, your investments in weight? I pay for all of my bread with gold. Go to the checkout line, uh, hand them an earring, and we're done. <laughs> there it is. And, and there's just like a little wink and a nod. You're good. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Cashier knows exactly how much that earring weighs, and and it's a smooth transaction. Do you have more faith though in uh, in cryptos than you did a year ago? No, no, I don't. I do think that cryptocurrencies will be used in our society, but I agree they do not have intrinsic value, and then putting money into them is speculation, not investing. But I see this. So I saw this with Solar OG. With solar, you saw that the price of individuals doing solar has stayed very high, right? And even though there now is a um, uh, a unified approach to solar, there used to be lots of different ways to do solar. Now there's a unified approach. You would think prices would come down enough where it would start to make sense. While utility companies continually told you with their lobby that it didn't make sense, utility companies buying up solar as fast as they can. And now you look at the solar power of a utility We see this with cryptos. While you'll see a company like JP Morgan kind of outwardly laughing about cryptos, my understanding, JP Morgan, one of the biggest players in the cryptocurrency markets. What's what's going on there? One hand doesn't know what the other is doing. They're all foolish. Now, I think the difference is this. Can we use the technology that exists for that business right now, which is the technology of like blockchain and that sort of thing to improve payment processing and record keeping? Absolutely. 
is Bitcoin worth something or Ripple or whatever the other one? No, it's just a construct right now. And it's going to crash in spectacular fashion. You nailed it, OG. It's the technology. It's the blockchain. That's the power behind. That is the real power right there. The yeah, when you can do like a house closing in a nanosecond, right? And it just shows Correct. the transaction. I, I was reading, you know, that they're using a lot of this technology for countries that don't have like property records. They're like just starting it. They're going, well, how do we know that your family owns this land? Well, we don't. But now we're going to say that you do. And now it's locked in stone. And they're building that kind of record keeping. And that's super helpful. Or how do you, you know, they've kind of got it right now. It's always amazing to me that I can Venmo you $50 and it'll be in your account tomorrow. But if I want to send a payment to my American Express bill, I got to do it 24 hours in advance and we'll post sometime in the next 24 to 72 hours when the bank gets around to transferring it. Or, you know what I mean? It's like really stupid. Like, why can't it just happen? You know? So that sort of stuff will be a byproduct of, of the technology, which will be super helpful. But the idea of the, Bitcoin or whatever is just so in summary, the, the way to summarize that perfectly, I think, is just say instead of investing in a crypto, invest in companies that have found unique and innovative ways to use the blockchain technology. Yeah. That's where you have if you're going to make a, an investment, that's probably where you should be looking. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Let's see if the eight ball is going to start making more sense with Len's next <laughs> qu- with Len's next question. Len, what's your second one? Deutsche Bank. The stock has been just taking a hammering the past uh, year. And I think now it's, uh, boy, it's low. It's in single digits. Will Deutsche Bank stock be less than $7.50 on December 1st? And where's it at right now? I don't know. I think it's like eight. I don't know. Check it. Oh, you know what? It went up a couple days ago. It might be double digits again. Let me heard the drum roll there, but... I- <laughs> because I didn't stop it quick enough. So we're about to find out what the eight ball did. But let's talk about what Deutsche Bank did. Deutsche Bank, just at the end of the year, trading around uh, 770. And it actually was marginally higher than that last year. So your question was, will it be less than 750? The answer is barely no. So Deutsche Bank, I don't know that you call, would you call that a banner year this year that it managed to not lose money? Yeah, I would say, but didn't they, I I, I think they played some shenanigans. Didn't they create a a bad bank and they offloaded the bad assets to the bad bank? I thought that's what they did. Well, that's what I'd do. (laughs) Isn't that great? Wouldn't that be great if we could do that? Like if we're we're having trouble and we just create a a bad, uh, you know, hey, sorry, uh, you know, I'm creating a bad uh, version of me. I'm going to offload all my my, uh, bad investments into that. I'm reading this biography on Cornelius Vanderbilt and uh, there's a railroad that he was getting ready to buy and it was, it just had tons of debt. So what they did, and this is before a lot of the insider trading rules and securities and exchange commission being stronger, they decided to create new bonds instead of the old bonds. And actually you can still do this. You know, if you, if you convince the people that loan you money to take the new bond at half you can stay solvent as a company, right? Restructure your debt, they call it, whenever you hear about companies restructuring their debt. So they were selling new bonds 
and the new bonds then would be at half the interest rate of the old bonds so they could keep the railroad running. Not only did Vanderbilt help convince people to buy these bonds, he also then sold the new bonds to speculators at a quarter of the price. Speculators, by the way, including him, their competitor, like all these people. And immediately on day one, it went from a quarter of the value of the bonds to half the price of the bonds. An instant, instant doubling of, of your money for people, for him and his friends. So, yeah, and you just, and Joe, you just answered the question. People will say, well, how, how do these countries sell bonds with negative interest rates? And that is how they do it. They, as long as the, the rates go lower and lower, the yields, you can sell, find it's the greater full theory, sell it to somebody else, and you're still going to make money, even oh, yeah. though the, the bond is yielding negative numbers. And not only did they do that, but they sold the bonds to themselves and, and, and doubled their money on day one on the new bonds. <laughs> And and they restructured their debt. Like, wouldn't it be great to have a bankruptcy where you unload all your debt for debt at half the rate and you double whatever assets you have? Instead of having to wipe the table with them, you double your assets on the same day. I'd line up for that. It'd be fantastic. So Deutsche Bank did not. The answer is going to be no. Deutsche Bank did not fall below 750 this year. So let's see what the eight ball said. Outlook good. Sorry, guys. This is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You just and put all the yes ones in there. <laughs> the drunk eight ball having a tough time with round two, one right, three wrong. And now, wow. now we're looking at uh, three right, five incorrect. You know, Deutsche Bank, I guess, guys, going back to the, the discussion we had uh, earlier, this is a bank lens been around for a long time. This is what you were talking about with General Electric or with, you know, some of these big co- Procter and Gamble, some of these big companies been around a long time. Things change. Yeah. Nobody is too big to fail. Time has shown that nobody, no company is too big to fail. So on that note, let's go to the third round and hope that the eight ball gets its mojo back. We start again with Paula. Let's see what she asked for her third question. Every year, traditionally, I always ask a question about a South American ETF. But this year, I'm going to skip the ETF and just ask a question about South America. As we all know, there will be a total solar eclipse in Chile at the end of June. Will there be cloud cover that blocks the view of the eclipse from the majority of people in, in Chile. Debbie or, Downer. Okay, hold on. I'm yes. gonna I'm gonna have to look this shit up later. <laughs> <laughs> how am I gonna look okay. that up at the end yeah, of next how do you year? Verify that. As, be on as, the news. as context, as context. So I was thinking about going to either Chile or Argentina to watch the total solar eclipse. <laughs> and then I started looking up the location where there will be totality. And I started looking at historic cloud cover on that day. And the areas where totality will be um, visible have 70% of a chance of cloud cover mm-hmm. historically on that on that day. Just so, come to Dallas in two years when we have one. <laughs> oh, I'll just be eclipse chasing from now on. That's what most of us do when we're looking at going on vacation. We look at the percent chance of cloud cover for that area. And then we do the math, look at uh, X, Y, Z, and um, decide if we're going or not. You didn't end up going to Chile or Argentina. I did not end up going to Chile. And as it turns out, that was a mistake because totality was visible. And the reason we know that is because, shout out to our new producer, Karen, who looked that up for you, Paula. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and, and she she actually went and looked at YouTube videos, and it turned out that you could see uh, during that time. So, uh, and then she was like, "You guys would not believe this job that I have. Yeah. You know what they're having me do? <laughs> I I get all the good stuff." You know, I you know I went to Chile's about six times last year. Oh yeah, oh, had the awesome blossom. <laughs> fantastic. Baby back ribs. <laughs> mm, fantastic. All right. So the answer is no, right? How do we phrase that question? We phrased it. Will it, there be cloud cover? And the answer is no. Based on how drunk and happy your eight ball is, Len, I don't think this bodes, bodes well for us. Here we go. Well, this says outlook not so good. Hey, oh, I think what that means, Len, is that the eight ball was three for three on Paula's questions. Next year, we should probably said Paula ask all the questions. I think the eight ball did a pun there. It was looking, you're talking about cloud cover and it said the outlook was not so good. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And it it, it is too bad, by the way, because this seems to be a happy eight ball, a punny eight ball. Don't beat it. Don't beat beat the, that eight ball has been retired. He lost his job after this. You know, we, we brought in the new kid. I actually wasn't beating it up. I was just saying that the eight ball was all happy. And then we went and fired him after this. (laughs) (laughs) You can't be drunk on the job, eight ball. And showing favoritism toward Paula. Not good either. (laughs) No, no, no. All right. So we've got uh, just three more questions left. And on the note of asking uh, personal questions, OG now has one. This one totally pains me. I'm a college football junkie. And it would be very easy to say, you know, is Alabama going to win the championship again? Is Oklahoma But I have something much more near and dear to my heart, which is given the fact that Urban Meyer finally retired, will Michigan finally beat Ohio State in a football game in November? He's like, please, God. Please, please, please. please." (laughs) Will Jim Harbaugh, actually. I don't even need Jim Harbaugh to beat him. I don't care who. And, uh, oh, gee, that didn't happen. No, it was ugly. But the next best thing happened, which was you had a great. Uh, we found out a couple, you had a great first half of of the bowl game for Michigan. That was nope, the next best. Not thing. even that. Don't even care about that. The next best thing is that uh, Ohio State lost. Oh man! In the championship <laughs> playoff. So why, well, you OG has it really come down to this now? It's like it has it's, come, it's not yeah. enough for Michigan to win. It's just a, now it's all if only Ohio State loses. Is that what it's yes. come down to? Send your That's hate what, mail. You know, I root for two teams every weekend: oh, boy. Michigan and whoever Ohio State's playing. Even if it's a team from a different conference, Akron. Oh God, yes. Especially <laughs> if it's a team from a different conference. I would like, come on, Akron Zips. You got it, baby. <laughs> Well, Michigan had a decent year. I wouldn't want to be, you know, my daughter went to Arkansas. We could have asked the eight ball. Will Arkansas yeah. win another football game ever? Ooh, Arkansas <laughs> still play football in the year 2019 <laughs> or will they just yeah. to hell with it? Fold it up. Yes. So the eight ball though said the answer was no. The eight ball said. Cannot predict now. All right. So we'll, try as if this thing needs more foam. <laughs> Here we go. More shaking and Len's going to work out. Len, Len, you got to take the Skillshare like class. Shake on, uh, shaking that. <laughs> yeah. 
I hate to say this, but it says better not tell you now. OG. <laughs> it doesn't sound too positive. You may rely on it. Oh boy. So now the eight ball down by two with only two questions to go. Um, the pressure's on here, Len. It certainly is. Well, I guess it's how you look at it. Is the pressure on my wallet or is on the eight ball? So far, it's not on your wallet. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. Let's take one from Len. You know, I still have my Dow 20,000 hat. Will the Dow be under 20,000 on December 1st? Wow. Good Lord. (laughs) For all our sakes, I hope not. The eight ball is going to say yes, though. You know, it's going to say, oh, yeah, sure. So the eight ball predicting whether the Dow's going to be under 20,000. Len, not not even close. Oh, that's not even in the, yeah, that wasn't even in the ballpark. Yeah, that that's, uh, we're, we're much closer to 30. Aren't we over 30? Where are we? Very close. Was it like 28,000 something? Okay. Yeah, we're not even in the change, ballpark. Yeah. And I'm really anxious to see what the darn uh, eight ball said on this one. Was this the kind of year, OG, that if uh, your 401k was negative, you might be doing it wrong? If your 401k was negative, yeah, so you definitely did it wrong. It seems to me that this is a year where everybody was a genius. Uh huh. We're starting our reviews, you know, coming up here in another couple of weeks. And I'm waiting for, hopefully, hopefully this doesn't happen, the... Hey, I saw the uh, S&P is up like 28. My account's only up like 23. Like, what's up? Because <laughs> you, you know. diversified. Yeah, they're all, you know what they, they all were, I mean, the Dow was up 22. The Russell was up, uh, 2000 was up 24%. The NASDAQ was up 35%. Bitcoin was up 94%. The international and gold, index. And even gold and silver were up this year. Yeah, international yeah. index. Fixed income was up like 10 or 11. Yeah, yeah everything. I think, yeah. I don't know, Paula, weigh in on this. To me, this is a scary time for investors. At the end of 2019, I think everybody would probably be a little cocky at this point. Well, it's true that in a bull market, everybody thinks they're a genius, but it's also true that bull markets do not die of old age. And if the fundamentals are solid, then there's no reason for a bull to go into a cyclic or a session simply because it's a decade old. That's the second time I've heard somebody say that today. That were you were you watching Yahoo Finance video earlier like I was? I was not. You were not. But but that is a common expression. Yes. But but I I had but I I gotta say, I don't know that I'd ever heard that specific thing until today. Have you guys all heard that? Is this like Paula with the Charmin thing? You mean don't <laughs> don't mistake a bull market for genius for a bull market? No, the bull markets <laughs> don't die of old age. Meaning this could oh, be. I've go never on heard forever. that one. I hadn't either. I, and I'm I I'm <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, this is the longest one ever. Twice so. today. But- yeah, except except I think that's BS. This is just a sensational thing that people like to talk about so that people get concerned about it. The market was down 20% a year ago at this time. 19.9. Oh, closing value. <laughs> it crossed minus 20 during the day. So that's a bear market. Like it happened already. So that, you know, it also happened in 2012, right? Also a 19.9 time. So people like to just gloss over those and go, well, it was closing basis was 19.9. So it doesn't count officially. That counted, you know? <laughs> and so if you put that in there, then you recognize it really hasn't been 10 years. It's just a topic that it's like, if I put that out there, if I say, hey, this is the longest running, then people, you know, get concerned and like, no, it's been freaking 
12 months. Yeah, but like, the bigger point that that makes, that Paula made and that I heard earlier, the bigger point that makes, though, OG, I think you agree with, which is don't bet. Don't play that game. Just because yeah. it's, quote, been long or hasn't been long or whatever isn't a right. reason to change your investment strategy. Well, and the thing is, is just like we were talking about casino gambling before or playing the lottery, if you're going to play the odds, the odds suggest that 70% of the time it goes up. So yeah, you're going to be wrong 30% of the time, but to get all of the other ups, you have to be okay with the occasional down. And maybe, you know, maybe today was the highest it's going to be for the next 18 months. Who knows? We'll know in 18 months from now, but your investment plan, I think, which is what Paul is getting at here, your investment plan cannot be about like some arbitrary time period. Like, well, because it's January the 3rd, and the full moon isn't until the seventh. That means that dot, 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 dot. No, it's just do your investment plan and let the chips fall where they will. The eight ball needs one more answer. One more answer to be correct to end this, this on, uh, on an even note. On an, on an even note. Can the eight ball get there? Let's, God, I hope so. Let's see here on our last question. Hans asks, will the eight ball in 2019 be right more often than it's wrong? <laughs> so you're making meta like a circular. This is, yes, loop. this is <laughs> so, so such a great question. Now, the answer is going to be no, right? Because it's either going to be even or down two. Uh, but what a great question to end on. And let's see. Could this question be the tiebreaker between the eight ball being right and wrong? Oh, maybe it will. I can't wait. Oh, boy. 12 months. We have to wait for that one, Paula. Wow. Yes. Okay. Will it be right more than wrong? Uh, Cannot predict now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to throw my wrist out doing this. Don't count on it. <laughs> it defended its honor, Len, by uh, sure <laughs> by saying there's no way in hell. I'm gonna gonna make that. Well, happen. hey, at least it's on. At least it's honest, right? It tried. Like you said, 50-50. It's the same as a coin flip. Fun year for the eight ball. A lot of great takeaways from last year. We're gonna take a quick break with the round table here to talk to Ryan Falvey about the future of fintech maybe we'll answer a question we have a guest here that's going to help us answer a magnify money question and we'll be back with our predictions for 2020 here after those segments Well, if you're new to the show, this is a segment that we feature nearly every Friday. It's called our Friday FinTech segment. And the reason why I love this Friday segment is because, A, I love new technology. I love toys. I also like the fact that there are people out there and brands out there that are pushing the traditional methods of doing things. And where sometimes we don't see the innovation that I'd like to see from big insurance companies or from big banks or big brokerage houses, there's somebody who has a new idea and I like learning about it. So I thought, hey, let's make a Friday segment in the middle of our shows that will talk about it. So we've been doing the Friday FinTech segment 
nearly since the beginning of Stacking Benjamins. Today, a real treat. Ryan Falvey is not only one of the founders of Financial Venture Studio, but he also is somebody who has deep, deep roots, 15 years that he has spent identifying, supporting, and leading innovation in technology. If anybody has a front row seat to what's going on in the world of fintech, it would be Ryan. Not only is he always good radio and a guy that I just absolutely love talking to, he also, of course, has his viewpoint because he helps many of the firms that you're going to see tomorrow on your phone. Heck, some of the firms that you see today on your phone, some of the apps that you use, Ryan and the team at Financial Venture Studio are behind those companies. So let's say a big hello to Ryan Falvey coming back down to the basement to talk about the future of fintech here at the start of 2020. And coming down the stairs for a repeat trip to the basement, working on the frequent flyer miles. It's, it's our friend Ryan Falvey from Financial Venture Studio. How are you, man? Good. How are you, Joe? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. Well, I thought, listen, you'd be the perfect guest. It's January 3rd. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. And last year seemed to be a pretty, I don't want to say a great year. It felt like a year of change in the fintech world. Would you say that's that's true? Like entering 2019, leaving 2019, you were... There were kind of two different spaces. Totally. I suspect it probably didn't feel as much like change for guys like, you know, you and I and your listeners who are kind of, you know, plugged into this space. But I think for a lot of people, you know, as some of these companies got to be really valuable and started kind of getting you know, some headlines made about them, I think a lot of people started waking up and realizing that there's a real sea change happening in financial services and, and fintech seems to be leading that. And so I notice more people asking me about it and kind of knowing what I do with less explanation than it you know, took a couple of years ago. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think there's been kind of that um, broader awakening that there's some really exciting stuff happening in fintech. I know that's obviously on a consumer level, I totally agree. More people getting comfortable with using fintech solutions on a bank level. I, I want to even include maybe insure tech here mm-hmm. uh, on that level. You think next year we're going to see more acquisitions of these companies, these big companies, big banks, big brokerage, big insurance companies going to start to feel the heat a little bit, Ryan? I think you'll see more acquisitions for sure. I think you're seeing a lot of the larger incumbents becoming much more aware of what's happening and taking it much more seriously. And I think there's different ways that can play out. One would be through acquisitions, but I also I expect you'll see a lot more um, innovation from many of the incumbents. The track record's mixed on, on that, but I mean, it's certainly something you need to think about when you're dealing with really early stage companies. That, you know, when you have a big company roll out a new feature set, that makes a big difference. So yeah, I think you'll see a lot more kind of headline level news happening where either it's really large companies in fintech acquiring smaller ones, or maybe the more established firms acquiring the fintech companies, maybe a couple more companies, you know, going public. Um, the end of last year, you know, the Bill.com IPO was, it looks like it's, it's going to be a successful one. And that's one of those kind of infrastructure businesses that a lot of people don't really pay a lot of attention to. And so when they do well in the public markets, I think that kind of opens up the aperture of, of people's awareness of what's happening. Well, that I guess is my next question then is, is that where we're going to see most fintech innovation next year? Is it going to be on the building blocks piece that the consumer doesn't see? Our listeners won't see a lot of that, or are you going to see customer-facing stuff in 2020? I think you'll see a lot of customer-facing stuff still. 
one of the things there's been a lot of talk about a lot of this infrastructure and kind of the, the back end thing. At the end of the day, that that stuff needs to be supporting new new products and services. You know, there a lot of uh, investors, especially, use the analogy of Amazon Web Services, which is you know Amazon has this big hosting platform that a lot of websites are built on. Amazon makes a ton of money from this product, but they wouldn't make money if there weren't people building new new stuff on the internet that needed hosting. And then I think the same way with these infrastructure players, you know, unless there's new products that are coming to market that are, that are solving kind of new problems for consumers and business and others, I don't think that they're going to be as relevant. So I expect to still continue to see a lot of innovation from the consumer side. Well, well, let's take this maybe, if you don't mind, industry by industry. What do you see coming in the banking world? Are banks going to see some major disruption this year? You know, banking is interesting. Banks make money two ways. They make money from lending and they make money from uh, fees. I think the the lending business seems relatively stable. You don't see a lot of new entrants there. I mean, that was one of the kind of made the first phase yeah. of fintech. On the fee side, you're seeing a lot more firms coming in. But you know, in the fintech space, a lot of these guys are also charging too. And so they're making subscription revenues. You know, we were investors in a company called Pillar, which helps people pay off student loans. And, you know, they charge a monthly fee for that. Digit, which has been around for a while. I know it's familiar to you and your listeners. They obviously charge fees. And so I think the nature of kind of the fees are, are changing and increasingly consumers are willing to pay for fees, but they, they want to see real tangible value. And that might be where you see the big consumer banking shift of, I suspect we'll see kind of more innovations where the banks will say, okay, hey, we can't just charge for you know checking accounts, but maybe we can charge a couple bucks a month for this service that rides alongside uh, the checking yeah. account. That yeah. would probably be where I'd expect to see more of the types of things. Continue to see growth of some of these businesses. Businesses like Chime and Dave are starting to get kind of escape velocity where they're just adding lots and lots of users and are kind of becoming well-known to the broader market. And as that happens... A, you get new startups coming into the space, but then you also see the incumbents starting to react to that. And, and that that will probably catalyze some innovation too. Well, and that's what I was going to ask about next. It seems to me when you've got uh, some of these ride-along ideas, if I'm Bank of America, let's say, I think, Ryan, I can develop my own or I can just go buy this thing and plug it in. And a lot of these, these founders we talk to, as you know, the products feel like they could be plugged into a Bank of America and make Bank of America suck less. That was that was my that was me. That's not Ryan. Just write your hate mail to me, Bank of America, not to Ryan. You know what? I'm not so sure about that. I don't think it's totally wrong. What I see is happening is more like a, you know, it's like a balloon that's filling up with air. And so, you know, you looked at all these point solutions on this and they they all kind of look the same. But as that balloon fills up, I think they move into different parts of the market. And, and if you think of how innovation typically works, that's how, how it starts. It starts pretty small. And, you know, that niche continues to expand and expand and expand. And so I'm not a believer in kind of the rebundling. I don't think you're going to see the big banks acquire a bunch of startups and try to add them to their platforms. I actually think you have a much more kind of fundamental thing happening where consumer tastes and and expectations from financial services have changed. And they're not really interacting with, you know, things like your core checking account in the same way that they were 20, 30 years ago. And there are a number of solutions there that are kind of out there that are really saying, hey, this is a liquidity account. It's going to go down to zero. It might go a little bit below zero. It might, you know, but it's probably never going to be a significant amount of money. And maybe I should, I can try to create an account that solves that problem, makes the decisions easier for consumer, kind of makes a product that just you wouldn't even think of it as, you know, as you say, kind of sucking more of it. Just it just kind of works for my needs. And then you might have a totally different solution you use to kind of help you start saving for retirement. 
And you might have a totally different solution used to send remittances to your family in another country. And I don't necessarily think all those come back together. I think part of what makes banking frustrating for so many people is that, you know, you do have kind of a one size fits all thing out there. And while that one size might have lots of different variations, it still kind of feels generic and not made just for you. Yeah. And, and I think that is probably what we'll see more of really kind of a customized solution. And, and, and I think you'll continue to see the banking industry be highly fragmented for long into the future because of that. It's interesting because it just reminds me then of the early days of the internet, right? I mean, Amazon, a new solution from a new place that people had no idea, I mean, came out of nowhere. Sounds like banking, people starting to think about banking different, that maybe they don't think about Bank of America first or City or Chase or one of these things. They may think about Chime or about Digit or about some of these or Pillar or one of these other companies. Mm-hmm. And I, to be perfectly honest, I mean, some conversations with some of the larger banks, I think the banks are starting to think about themselves differently too. I think if you were to go ask some of these CEOs of, of these big banks, you know, how do they want to see themselves evolve? I think they would look at what, you know, Jeff Bezos built at Amazon and say, hey, you know, I wouldn't mind being the AWS <laughs> financial services. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a retail business here. Which um, is, by the way, historically, not to cut you off, but I look at a couple of my friends in the space and they are with some of the smaller aggressive banks and they are doing fintech startup stuff because they want to be the savings account affiliated with those with those fintech startups completely yeah. to your point yeah and there's some fundamental parts of the financial services industry that are, are just unlikely to change i mean a you know the government is involved here in kind of mitigating you know, moderating the risk between all these institutions and they have requirements for what you have to do from a regulatory and compliance perspective you know banks will play a bit of a lot i mean there's a, a lot of boring stuff banks do that's pretty central to what they do and you know, frankly, the banks are going to probably continue to have an advantage on that boring stuff for a long time. And so I think it, what you really are seeing and kind of going to your question about infrastructure earlier is I think the banks are actually waking up a little bit and saying, hey, I, you know what? I'm kind of cool with Chime handling all these customers. Yeah. I've never really found a great way to make money with them. But if I can make money serving Chime, like that's not a bad business itself. Yeah. And, and that that dynamic certainly starting to take hold. Yeah. And that can be more exciting for everybody. I mean, and the end mm-hmm. consumer wins, everybody wins. Let's move to another area that I found more fun in 2019 than really ever before, which was helping small businesses compete with big businesses through better payroll, better HR. Uh, we even talked to a gentleman that was allowing you know people to get their paycheck whenever they wanted to, not waiting for the old antiquated payroll system of every two weeks. Are you seeing as much innovation there as I see from my space probably way further away than you are? Totally. We started this business at the end of 2018. And so in 2019, we were, we were using a lot of these solutions ourselves. And and it's interesting, you know, you get, uh, I, I look at across the stack of mail whenever I sit there and it's forms I have no idea what to do with because, you know, Gusto just takes care of all of it. We're investors in a company called Roger, which is an accounts payable solution. So we, it helps you can automate your We actually talked to Catherine. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yes. She's, she's, a, she's an amazing founder. And, you know, she's basically bringing a tremendous amount of technology to make a small business function with a degree of professionalism and speed of a much larger firm that would have a bigger accounts payable department. And that kind of stuff, making business more efficient, I see the exact same dynamic there as we saw in consumer over the last couple of years. It's a space that has been notoriously hard for larger firms to serve profitably. It's very fragmented. You know, individual business owners behave a lot like consumers and how they get their information, how they hear about things. 
the differentiation of their needs. Most small businesses don't turn into Fortune 500 companies. It's just always been hard. And so they've lacked service. And I think you're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs now saying, hey, the, there's a better way to do business insurance. There's a better way to do payroll. There's a better way to do employee benefit. I mean, it's almost it's almost too many. I mean, you kind of, as an investor, you kind of start to realize how much you don't know about most parts of, of the economy when you kind of dive into that. He's like, wait, this is something? And you know, it's, it's, these are some real cute pain points for a lot of small businesses. It's amazing how much if a small business pays attention to fintech, they can really look and seem to their customers equal to a, co- a company 20, 50, 100 times their size. Absolutely. It really allows, I think, very small businesses now. I mean, if you just think about it, I mean, you're I, I bet you there's people listening to this podcast all over the world, right? And I imagine you know how you could sell advertisements in different places all over the world too. And you'd have to collect money. And like you think like 10 years ago, that would have been literally impossible. Right, right. <laughs> like just completely impossible. They put and the now money it's on the- not. It's just they- a matter of making some decisions and you know, probably paying tens of dollars a month for a software solution. And then that's it's amazing. They put the money on the boat. The boat comes over here. I got it a month <laughs> later. Maybe, maybe not. Amazon Porch Pirate steals my cash. Yeah. Insurance, insure tech. Mm-hmm. Is that an area you find interesting? Absolutely. And it's an area we've looked at for a long time and, and are now just really starting to make some investments in. It's an interesting market because, you know, it kind of people always you know, insurance is, you know, sold, not bought. And, and it continues to kind of be the case. And so, we, we didn't really do a lot on a lot of the kind of online brokers. Um, that's We're starting to kind of look more closely at that space. One of the challenges in insurance is it's really hard to make an insurance product. Like you need to have billions of dollars usually, you know, lots of money and a lot of track record. You'd be licensed. It's, it's not really something that, that a lot of startups have been able to do. And so there have been some really early firms who, who went down that path and are now, you know, really starting to come up with some differentiated solutions. I mean, foremost in our mind is a company called Hippo, which um, sells, you know, homeowners insurance policies and actually just acquired one of our companies at the end of last year, a company called Shelter, which was basically allowing homeowners to um, very easily do preventative maintenance and have kind of those, you know, the, the monthly checkups you should do on your home, but you probably don't, you know, like cleaning your gutters out checking the filter underneath the dishwasher. And so it was a great product. And you know, I think what Hippo's motivation for acquiring is, is hey, we're selling this homeowner's insurance to people over the internet. And we really need to have a way of touching them and, and really showing value. And if we can go and you know offer this solution to our customers, at the same time, it's going to do preventive maintenance. It reduces the likelihood of a loss on these policies. It's going to be a real significant advantage. And that's the kind of stuff you're starting to see now, which is really interesting. You know, now that's something that you you know, fortunately for you know, my my state farm agent, they they probably just can't do. Like, right? Be the nicest nicest person in the world, but they're not going to come over here and clean my gutters out. That's a really interesting way that you see technology really fundamentally changing the shape of some of these products, and and I think you'll see a lot more of that in the coming years. I was blown away by we talked to Hippo back in uh, 2017 on the Friday FinTech segment. Even then, I mean, of course, then I was blown away just by what they were talking about at that stage about bringing to market and the fact that they're rocking it is pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, quirky stuff, areas we didn't talk about that you're really interested in, or maybe not so quirky, just something that we didn't really touch on, Ryan. You know, what's interesting is there's some, some massive parts of the market where there is very, very little in, like innovation, very little startup activity where we'd love to see more. What's happening right now, there's a massive shift as people start retiring. 
later in this mm-hmm. country, and a lot of them are going to retire. There still isn't a lot of fintech solutions that are really focused on that. There really aren't that great of solutions out there right now for people who you know might want to continue working, may need to start drawing down retirement. You don't see as much in homeownership as you'd expect for it being such a large market, and the fact that a lot of the early interests have done very, very well. Yeah, uh, that's one area where we're continuing to look for stuff. The other thing is, you know, you know, it's not as positive a subject, but the fraud. And I mean, you mentioned the you know, the Amazon porch pirate. I mean, that's kind of the stupid fraud. There's a lot of stupid fraud that happens on the online, too, that is probably far more lucrative for criminals than that. And then there's a lot of very sophisticated fraud that's really kind of exploding. That's an area where we're going to need a lot more interesting solutions, too, as as so much more of commerce kind of moves the Internet. I have a feeling you and I have lots of interesting conversations to come, my friend. I hope so. <laughs> lots and lots. Well, tell me what's going on at the studio. What's happening at Financial Venture Studio? And I really appreciate letting us be on it so early in the year because we're in a process of looking for our next batch of companies. And so we've got you know, January 20th, our application's open. And so if anyone's out there and they've got an idea or they know somebody or they, they're working with a team that's working on something interesting, like we'd love to hear from you. Go to finventurestudio.com and, and just apply directly. We're a seed fund, and so we kind of invest throughout the year. But you know, we open up this application process at least once a year so that we're kind of caps a wide as net as possible. We're pretty early. And so we want to go outside those traditional networks and, and reach founders who might not have an obvious connection to us. And then we'll be working with another group of companies and, and help them continue to be successful. And, and hopefully we get a few more of them to come talk to your, your listeners. We absolutely love talking to companies that you guys work with. And what, what I appreciate most about your studio it isn't, I mean, obviously these are, are companies that need funding, but even more than that, they need to be plugged in with the right people. And you guys are so good at laying over your expertise, having done this time after time and time again, that helping that entrepreneur hook up with the right people, I think that might be sometimes even more important than the money. Oh, it's absolutely more important than money. There are far few great ideas and there are, you know, then there's you know, to make those successful. It just takes a lot of people. I mean, one of the interesting things about financial services is it really does take a collaborative approach. It's very hard to go in this market and you know, start breaking things and, and tossing things aside and, and try to put them back together on, on the back end. Um, you can't really get away with that for very long. And so we really do try to, at the earliest stages, kind of plug people in in a constructive way. So they're t- talking to the, you know, the regulators in a way that's going to be helpful long term. They're, you know, they're talking to guys like you who can open up audiences and kind of help them touch new customers, You know, talking to partners who can help them scale. Bank of America, it's very easy, you know, you kind of referenced, you know, early on, it's, you know, it's easy to say, ah, these, these products suck. These, all these big banks aren't going to do anything, but you know, it's just, it's, it's just a reality is, is that they're the heart of the financial services industry. Yes. And so you need to figure out how to work with these partners pretty <laughs> right, early if you're going <laughs> to build a big business. Well, just to be clear, I didn't say all big banks sucked. I just said Bank of America sucks. So just to be, just, to, <laughs> just, just to be clear, just to put my spin exactly where it belongs. Brian, right. <laughs> thanks a lot, Ryan, for hanging out with me though. And talking about the future FinTech. And by the way, if anybody out there knows somebody that has a great idea, they should be talking to Ryan and company. We'll have a link on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com to financial venture studio. Ryan, thanks a ton, man. Happy new year. Hey, happy new year. Thank you very much. And let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. You know what happens when you head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash money? You find those financial products you use every day. Well, they're nowhere near the best in class, especially if you went to your brick and mortar bank. Over 92% 
of the things you use every day, financially available online, and all ranked at magnifiedmoney.com. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifiedmoney for more. Interesting call today talking about magnified money because we actually have a caller who's asking a little bit about something that's in the magnified money people's wheelhouse. Let's say hi to Carter. Hey, Joe and OG. First off, I just want to thank you guys for playing my first call to you guys on my birthday. That was an awesome little birthday gift. Didn't take any of your advice, though. I'm still in debt to my eyeballs. I just was wondering if you had time for a little history lesson for me. Um, 27. Been, been in the workforce for about three years now. Uh, worked for a big defense company. And, you know, looking, trying to save a few bucks here and there. And I went to magnify money like you guys recommend. And I found a bank account that offers me 2% in savings. So pretty ecstatic about that. And when signed up and I don't know what it is about when you do something good for your finances, you know, just makes you feel good, a little cocky, whatever you want to call it. And so I went to work the next day trying to spread the love, I guess. And was telling one of my coworkers, hey, you know, go to Magnified Money and get a pretty good savings account and get some interest, you know. And one of my coworkers that sits next to me chimed in. He's a little bit older than me. I think he's probably about, you know, 35 maybe. Not too much older. And he mentioned that, you know, in 07, he got a savings account that offered 5%. I don't know if it was APY or monthly. I'm assuming it was APY because it just seemed a little high for a savings account and even in 07 for me. But I wasn't around during that time. Really, I was in high school. I wasn't really paying too much attention to the interest rates of banks. And then he also had mentioned that he got a checking account and he still has one now that he had opened in 07 that gave him 1% a month. And that just seemed pretty high to me. And so I'm just curious, is that kind of what the interest rates were back then? Like I said, since I wasn't, you know, banking at the time, really, I just want to know what you guys have seen throughout your careers. Thanks. Hey, so you guys know I'm still an extra large. Hey, thanks for the call, Carter. And what's interesting is about a third of the way through your call, down the stairs to the basement comes Mr. Magnify Money himself, Brian Kareemzad. Or because he's the sponsor, we just call him Brian the Great. <laughs> what's going on, man? I'm all right. You know, actually, what I was surprised is I, your mom let me use your powder room before I, I came down here. You know, you go into those and you usually find a wicker basket with something. In some houses, it has some potpourri and a candle. Other houses, it has some toiletries from the Sheraton collected in 1997. Your mom in the basket, she had four sticks of native deodorant. Isn't it? For guests. I, I don't know what she's trying to say about your guests and friends, but it was different. Well, I'll tell you what it really means, Brian. It means we're all about the sponsors here. It's <laughs> exactly what it means, Mr. Sponsor. <laughs> or it might mean that we have to put up with neighbor Doug. Like it could be <laughs> maybe a little bit. Well, of I was disappointed that your neighbors weren't uh, Michael Keaton and Terry Garr. That was, that was always my image of uh, suburban Detroit. I apologize for that. Although I do know the phrase 220 or 221, whichever it takes. Yeah, exactly. But let me ask you about this, my friend, uh, 2007, when he talks about interest rates on savings accounts, maybe not a direct savings account, Brian, but certainly a money market around 2007 would be in the 5% range. Oh, yeah. Back then, you can get money markets uh, in that range, CDs. A lot of people got lucky and locked them in for three or five years. 
at the 4% plus range. Now, you have to think about it, though. Back then, it wasn't as exciting as it might seem now because back then inflation was running, you know, 3%, almost 4%. So you weren't quite sure if that was going to accelerate up to 5, 6, like it has in the 70s, 80s, uh, maybe even a little bit in the 90s, not much. But that was the thinking at the time, right? And that's why, in part, why rates were as high as they were. You know, you had to be a wizard to predict that it would be an incredible bargain at the time. But it wasn't unheard of back then. Today, you know, you're you're lucky to find a savings <laughs> account around one and a half percent. CDs you can get, you know, in that that two to three percent range. So, you know, depending on on your needs over over the next few years, take a look. You go on Magnify Money. Uh, you can find the best online rates that are probably higher than your local bank or credit union, and build yourself a, a CD ladder. When I go check the rates at Magnify Money, and we you know talk about them, maybe probably ever. Every third week here, the list of names going above 2% like is higher by the week by maybe one or two. So finding 2% or higher is not not as hard as it used to be. Yeah, it is. You know, the, the CDs have held in pretty well. It's those savings accounts were things in the last uh, six months as banks have caught up with the Fed uh, lowering its rates. They, they dropped those as well. Uh, those short-term accounts, the savings accounts are the most sensitive to what the Fed does. Uh, the CDs, you know, they're a bit longer term, so they, they'll, they'll fluctuate a, a bit less and in more in line with, you know, basically what treasury bonds of that duration are doing. So if you really want to get geeky about it, you can go compare your CDs to treasury bond rates. I was going to ask you about that, not about comparing them to treasury bond rates. I'll let nerds like you do that. <laughs> <laughs> nerds like me, though, what I wonder about, though, Brian, is, and I think you hinted at this, when you said they're longer term, that means the banks are okay with staying above 2% because of the fact they know you're probably, they're probably going to hold your money for a long enough period of time that with interest rates probably coming back in the future, coming back up, that that's why they're still paying a higher rate? Yeah, you know, what's really happening is a lot of them are just matching what they call the maturity. So, you know, you you give them a three years, you, your deposit into a three-year CD and call it, you know, two and a half percent. They're going out and making a used car loan for four and a half, five percent for three years. And and that's how they're they're making their money right now. Let's talk about the other side of that. He said 1% per month on a checking account. Not only do I not remember that in 2007, I don't remember that. I mean, that's a 12% a year. Uh, what do you think he's talking about? Yeah, it sounds insane. But, you know, with these checking accounts, the, the banks are always trying to get new customers and they want to pay for them because once you get into a checking account, it's really sticky. So they're willing to lose some money on a checking account customer because they're hoping you're going to go get your mortgage from the bank or you're going to go, you know, bring some savings money in there and open up a CD. Uh, so some of the highest rates actually today are on what we call rewards checking accounts. Now, the catch is they're only going to give you that rate up to, you know, call it fifteen hundred dollars. Right. Uh, so it's not going to cost them a whole lot to yeah. give that. Uh, I got you. So they're not getting it on everything and it's a promotional rate and probably not forever. Do you see these go forever though? Yes. A good question. I mean, there's some with decent rates that don't have any sort of expiration that the, ch- the rate could change you know, at any time, but I, there, there's some good ones out there that don't have an explicit expiration. It's just that cap on what they give you each month that makes it sticky. Some of them have things like number of debit card, uh, ATM card usages in a month, all kinds of hoops like that. I've noticed the last five, six years that we've worked together that some of the names at the top stay the same when we look at savings account rates or CD rates or even lending rates or credit cards. But if we go all the way back to 2007, 
Has that been almost a full turnover of the names at the top or any idea how much turnover we have? Like how often, I guess what I'm directly saying is this, how often do I need to go back to magnify money and, and check and see if my savings account is still competitive? I think you should go there at least twice a year because rates change so often and because you have two new entrants going on here. The first one is online banks are almost non-existent or online accounts were almost non-existent, you know, 10 years ago. Today you have banks that just collect deposits online and they're willing to pay a higher rate because they don't have all the branches they have to maintain and the cost of market reach you is lower. So you have more options that have higher rates available if you shop around. The other is credit unions have consistently been more aggressive in this cycle. On the rate side for deposits, it, what's going on the back end is you have a lot of credit unions getting risky on things like car loans and even mortgages, uh, filling some of the holes that the banks have been afraid to go to. But they're getting they're able to do that by attracting deposits with some some good rates. So you know you'll see a bank that you know, a credit union that'll come in for maybe three or six months with a really attractive rate and then pull it. Uh, but they'll grandfather it in for people who come in and open account by a, a certain period. There's one last month, actually. I think it was a credit union in Pennsylvania had a 3% two-year CD. They announced they were pulling it, but as long as you'd open account by November 30th, you were able to, to lock in wow. that CD rate. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. Well, th- th- so lucky you stopped by right now. I mean, l- literally... <laughs> I, I, I just am listening to this and here you are. So thanks so much for stopping by, Brian. Yeah. Well, I looking forward to staying the weekend too. If you got a, got a spare room, I, I got, we'll have got you back. Flight canceled at Metro. So I have to be here. The weekend. We'll have you back Monday. How about that? Let's talk dead on Monday. It's board okay. game, board, board, board game weekend, Brian. Hey, if you've got a call for the lifeline, head to uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And like Carter, we will tackle your question. And every once in a while, we get somebody with us like Brian that actually knows the answer, which is crazy. All right. Now it's time to begin a new decade. We got a brand new eight ball this year. It's a brand new decade. So excited. First time this eight ball has been in the driver's seat. Len, you think it's ready? You give it a pep talk. It's the new, yeah. This is the this is the newbie here. So uh, I, it's ready. I think it's ready to go, and we're going to get hopefully something more than just all yes answers. That's for sure. <laughs> and and let's do it again this year. We'll do the fifty dollars per correct question. All right. Year. Thank you Those very much. Charity. The the Plutus Foundation is going to uh, it's going to love that. Uh, Paula, you want to do the honors and kick off the new decade. <laughs> Absolutely. So the first question to the Magic 8-Ball in the new decade, will Prince Harry and Meghan Markle open, <laughs> on the topic of charity, since since Len, you're so generously donating to the Plutus Foundation, will they open a U.S. branch of their charity, Sussex Royal? And I think the way to really because I'm not sure that they would actually, because it's a British charity, actually form papers in the U.S. So let's let's phrase this as, will they host a major fundraising event in the U.S. for their charity? Will they host a fundraiser for the charity? In the U.S. In the U.S. Got it. Everything points to no. Oh. That seems logical to me. That seems logical, <laughs> don't you think? I mean, it's a it's a British charity. 
It is a British charity. There's been some speculation in the press about how Megan thinks that they have an opportunity to raise a lot more funds if they tap the Hollywood crowd. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So it might be a way to spread some of the like awareness of, of the issues that the charity wants to spread awareness of as well as raise funds. But uh, but we shall see a year from now whether or not the charity Sussex Royal has any U.S. fundraising going on. You know that thing about turning over New Leaf in the new decade, Paula? Yeah. Not your thing, is it? Well, hey, you know, the <laughs> thing is, I used to always ask about like, oh, are Will and Kate going to have a baby? Uh, Harry and Meghan going to have a baby? But you know what? What's all this focus about babies? Let's talk about what they're actually doing. Let's talk about their charitable work. That That, that is fantastic. OG? All right, I'll do a real boring uh, market-related one because Debbie Downer over there is going to always talk about, uh, is the dog going to be below 10000 next year? <laughs> no, it won't be. Um, we had a good year. So it's good, is the good going to continue? So closing value this year is going to be higher next year. So we're going to have to record this before the end of the year. So you want to go like December 15th by December sure. 15th? Deal. Sure. All right. Len, will the Dow Jones be higher December 15th than it is here at the beginning of the year? Well, let's find out. There is no doubt. All right. All right. We're up at least 1%. I mean, with our with our background, you know what that means. Flip a coin. <laughs> All I got to say is it very well might be. Or not. Or not. I'm going to do one from the basement Facebook group. Uh, Gregory here asks a good question. And I'm actually going to ask him because we've had people wanting this. But will former roundtableist... Greg McFarlane make an appearance on the show in 2020? That's a good question. That's for, a very good question. For people who've been around, and by the way, I will ask him, Gregory, and I think it's a good question because I really, I really don't know. He very well, Len, what would you think? Before we ask the, if, if, if I asked Greg uh, if he was coming on, what do you think? I think he'd say no. <laughs> There's a part of me that thinks he'd say no. What do you think, Paula? I think he would consider it, but then ultimately say no. That's kind of my thought, too. He'd go, well, no, I think, I think I'm done. So mm. we'll see. We'll see. We'll ask him. Will Greg McFarlane make an appearance on the show this year? It is best not to say no. Well, we knew that ahead of time, eh, Paul? But we're going to ask again. Oh, we got to get the creepy music out of the way first. The answer is unclear. Try again. Man. The Napal feels the way we do. You can rely on that. Oh. The answer is yes. Greg will make an appearance. Unless after, it was referencing the eight ball feels the way the we do. Yes, you can rely on <laughs> yes, that. Yes. You can rely on the fact that it's going to be a toss-up. <laughs> All right, Len, time for the hosts. Uh, okay, well, as a co-champion of this year's trivia contest with Paula, mm -hmm. uh, I thought I would just <laughs> rub this into OG <laughs> a little bit <laughs> and ask the 
this question, since we did have a question on the hot dog eating content. Remember the hot dog? The, the, one of the trivia questions was you know, how many hot dogs was the hot dog eating champion this year? And I think the answer was 71. Yeah. But that's not the record. The record is 74 by Joey 74. Chestnut. Right. Yes. In that's 2018. right. My question is, in 2020, will, will the record be broken? Will the rec- hot dog eating record of 74 be broken in 2020? Because it didn't happen this year, to your point. That's correct. Yeah. It did not. All right. So let's see. Yes. It will be broken. There you have it. That's definitive. W- will it be broken by Paula? That'll be my question. <laughs> <laughs> no, prob- prob- probably won't be my question. All right, that's the end of round one. Paula, time for round two. What do you got for the eight ball now? Okay, I am going to ask about Harry and Meghan and having a baby. <laughs> because, like, you know, if they're going to have a second kid, I think 2020 would be the year that, that they would at least announce the pregnancy. So will Harry and Meghan, by the end of the year 2020, announce another pregnancy? a certainty. Whoa. He said that with authority, Paula. Sure did. With the creepy music. (laughs) Oh, Archie's getting a sibling. OG, that means you, sir, are up to bat. Uh, Thinking a little bit about movies lately, I'm really looking forward to the new Top Gun movie. And it's going to be the summer blockbuster, right? I'm not saying it's going to be good. I'm just saying like, about 70 billion people are going to watch it. Will it be the top grossing movie of 2020? And I know it's going against a Star Wars that's coming that just came out, you know, I mean, like a few weeks ago. So we got to say then by, by, uh, yeah, by December 15th, then. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, because there might be a movie at the end of the year that's going to crush it, but we'll, with yeah, our recording schedule. Anyways, so Top Gun. Number one grossing movie of 2020. It cannot be determined at this time. Oh, yes, it can, 8-Ball. Try again. Yes, it can. That is a likely outcome. Ah, answer is yes, but not quite so certain as it was on Paula's. Okay. It's critically acclaimed Top Gun number two. It's amazing how it has no idea, and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah. Oh, it's absolutely positive. I'm sorry. I I wasn't thinking that question. Oh. Decidedly so. Yes. All right. April asks a question. She says, by the end of 2020, will Amazon drones be delivering beer to my doorstep? Literally? Amazon drones. By 2020. Or is the producer going to have to ask uh, that question? <laughs> Could I have to go ask April? Hey, April, April. Hey, April did that happen? I, th- I think we should phrase that as, is the capability going to exist? Let, let's widen that out. Will drones be making widespread deliveries by December 15th of next year? What do you guys think about that, though? I'm going to say no. I think there's going to be a lot, a lot it's of... coming, but no. Yeah, there's a lot of regulations to be worked out. I think that the technology will be there, but the legal green light will not. All right, Len. So 
will we have drones delivering stuff by December 15th the next year on a widespread basis? Let's see. Yes, without question. Bam. Wow. It was pretty certain. It, it disagrees with us. That's a little scary. <laughs> I mean, not the drones delivering stuff, because I'm all for that. How many that. drones will be shot down with shotguns? Yeah. <laughs> How much? It just reminds me of the story of like when they were doing electricity for the first time in the farm countries, you know, as they kept on moving electricity further and further west. And there's this uh, rash of fires in homes and they couldn't figure out why. And it was because some farmers were stuffing the electrical outlets with cotton balls so that they wouldn't waste the electricity because they didn't have anything to use it for. They didn't have, you know, appliances and things like that to plug in, but they were being having them installed in their homes, you know? And, uh, and so they just said, well, we don't want to waste the electricity. So they're, they would spark and catch fire. And so it just seems like that's, what's going to happen with the drones. People are going to be like, you know, the, the masses of people are just going <laughs> to be crazy about it. No, Len's thinking, no, this is way more sophisticated <laughs> than electricity <laughs> back in the aughts. You know? <laughs> and, you know, that gets me. I, this is one of the great things about the new decade. So I'm tired of the last 20 years. We, you know, it used to be 70s and eight. I'm sorry, Paula, this is before your time. But you'd say in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s and the. You know, and it was easy to refer to a decade, but the aughts and the teens. I, I mean, know, I mean, not good. It's just, you no. could, but now we're in the 20s again. So now you can, we need a name. Easy. We need a name. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's about right. time. All right. Uh, uh, Len, you, you're doing the honors with your second one. Okay. Uh, have you seen how they're showing all the new UFOs? I mean, they're coming out. The, they're, they're showing these all, more and more UFOs. The military's coming out saying, yes. Look at the UFOs, and, and, and I think they're inching towards disclosure. I really do. There's going to come a time very soon where somebody's going to – they're just going to come out and say, you know what? There's been aliens. We've known about them for 50 years. I think the time is coming, but I want to get verification from the eight ball. Either that will, – either Will disclosure occur in 2020? Well, either that. Before you get to that, Len, either that or they're just going to be – it was Earl messing around with that light switch – the whole time there was, there's, there's never been anything. We couldn't get this guy to quit doing it. No, no, no. All right. Will All there, right. W- will we have disclosure that there really are aliens among us this year? Yes, I am sure. Oh, wow. sh- oh, sh- Another year of the eight ball going down. <laughs> He's just Have like, we had many. Yeah, another he yes had- man. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you about this eight ball. He really does have a hard time saying no. He does. Uh, Paula. All right. Last one. Well, Make it good. As we know, every year, it's a time honored tradition that I always ask about the British royal family and I always ask about South America. So this year, to kick off the new decade, I'm going to combine the two. Oh, no. And I'm going to ask, <laughs> I'm going to ask if Charles and Camilla or William and Kate or Harry and Meghan, if any of those couples will do an official tour in South America, will any of them visit South America in the year 2020? That could be a big yes. 
It could be an easy yes, couldn't it? Not necessarily. Do the British still own the Falklands? Yes. Oh, I don't know. Yes, they do. Is that considered South America? Yes. Can they go visit you know. the Falklands? I suppose so. Yes. So is Easter Island is also the South considered South America? Yes, Easter Island is South America, is considered South America. So if they go to Easter Island, that would count too. Is Easter would, Island owned by the British? I would love to see pictures of them on Easter Island with the big statues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> great photo off. No, riding, a, riding one of those turtles. <laughs> Chile owns Easter Island. All right, Len. Will the Royals visit South America? Highly doubtful. Mm. Well, Harry doesn't care because he's having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Harry and Megan having another one. Yes. They can't, they don't got time to travel. They've got other stuff going on. All right. That means we're back to OG. Pressure's on, man. Big last prediction. All right. I'm not very creative today, so I don't have any other questions. So reaching into the bag from the uh, basement, here's one from Tim to ask about one of our uh, panelists here today. So the question is, will Paula interview either Warren Buffett or Bill Gates? And will, in fact, either of those two people say to Paula that they can, in fact, afford anything? <laughs> I hope so. Nice job, Tim. That'd be a hell of a get, Paula. That's pretty funny. Oh, that'd yeah. be amazing. You got to tell them, you know, while they're there, they just hang out a little bit and I'll interview them too. Just oh. bring your friends would, along. You know, it'd be better than Susie Orman getting Warren Buffett on the show. That'd be funny if Warren Buffett told you that he didn't understand the fire movement. <laughs> I don't get it. Damn kids. 90-year-old with a gazillion dollars. Yeah, Yeah, he's barely over Susie's number. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Barely saved enough. All right. like, I think I need to stay in the workforce for another decade. (laughs) That's the whole reason he's working. He asked Susie. Susie said, you can't retire. All right. Len, will uh, Paula interview Warren or Bill? And they tell her that she can afford anything. Or well, that I don't, I don't think on. she will. Or let's, that, let's see what the eight ball thinks. That they can afford anything, right? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Ooh, I'm interviewing either Warren or Bill this year. <laughs> Mr. Buffett or Mr. Gates. You're welcome, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> You've asked me several times just what benefit do you get out of being on the Stacky Benjamin show? <laughs> there it is. There there it is. Insight into some of the biggest interviews uh coming up. I got to ask a question. I've always been a proponent of uh emerging markets investments, but I'm going to be a little bit even more um straightforward. So the international index, the last two years in a row, has been beaten by the S&P 500. So let me ask it this way. Will the international index, will the Schwab International Index, we'll say ticker symbol SWISX, will that beat the S&P 500 in 2020? Uh, Up until, let's go, December 15th. We'll see. 
The signs say no. Mm, three mm. years in a row. Stick with the U.S. By the way, thanks to everybody in the Basement Facebook group asking questions. Uh, some we didn't get to. Will Paul go to Taco Bell in 2020? Yeah. There's one. <laughs> Will the Fed raise rates more than twice by November 2020? Len might want that one. Not sure. Um, not a political show, but there's a few people who want to go near the president question. Will it be a Republican or will it be a Democrat who wins the election? Remember how the eight ball called Donald Trump. Maybe Len, maybe you need to ask the question is our last question going into the, going into the political year. What do you think? Let's do it. Sure. Can it do a, a repeat? Get the correct president. All right. So it's like, uh, it's like five thirty-eight or whatever. Isn't that that website, that New York times website that like does all the exact projections and all this stuff. This is just like that. This is exactly yes. like that. <laughs> yes. As probably just probably the odds of that being accurate are probably just as good. So let's find out. All right. So how are you going to ask the question, Len? Uh, well, let's just ask the, you know, we'll just stick with the incumbent. We'll just say, will President Trump be reelected for the next presidential election? Here we go. Drum roll, please. <laughs> a strong possibility. <laughs> that's a that's, weak that's answer. Not a, that's not so basically, he's going to be one of the answer. three people that are up for election. Should we should we get a, a more definitive answer? Yeah, yes yeah, or no? Because that's kind of that's amazing. That's wishy-washy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys like, down I, with that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, because a strong possibility. Okay, we know he's yeah. going to be his party's nominee. Yeah, sure. not good. Yeah, let's get a better answer here. The outcome cannot be predicted. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I wouldn't want to answer this either. Oh, let's Man, try. Eight ball Will, is dodging the question. It totally I'll, is. I'll ask the question again. Will President Trump be reelected in 2020? The answer cannot be found at this moment. Oh my wow. god! This was you're going to break the eight ball. You're going to have to like try a different. You're going to have to try a different angle of the axe. This is like a politician on a Sunday news show. <laughs> well, you know. Joe, not why quite don't you sure. try asking, phrasing, phrase the question. Uh, maybe I'm phrasing it wrong. I'll do it the other way. Will, right now as we do this, Bloomberg's in there too, right? Is an independent, I think. So will anybody besides Donald Trump be the new president? <laughs> president-elect. Be the new president-elect. In 2020. No. Wow. Well, there it, it is. <laughs> yeah. It called Trump last time. It didn't want to do it, Paula. Well, I mean, technically, it could still be the case that we just don't have a president after this. <laughs> be because the Magic 8-Ball didn't specifically say that Trump would be. It just said that nobody else would be, right? That, so that is maybe, true. maybe we go back to a, a monarchy after this. Will Harry and Meghan <laughs> help birth a new nation? <laughs> Man, that charitable, that U.S. branch of their charity is really going out of control. <laughs> I feel bad for people that are new to this show because they have no idea what the hell just happened. <laughs> I, I thought this was a finance show. 
the heck is that all about? Big thanks to everybody in the basement Facebook group for uh, those questions. You want to join them, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash basement. And that will uh, give you the link to get there instead of the uh, long link. And you can chat with us also over there. But let's see what's going on where you guys are. Oh, gee, how are you celebrating the first weekend of the new year? Drink, drink, drunk. Perfect. It's great. <laughs> Just like right now. On the show. No, just kind of hanging out. We got a big trip scheduled in a couple weeks from now. So we are just watching football and hanging close to home. That is a nice, my favorite way to spend a weekend. Paula, what's happening at Afford Anything? On the crazy Afford Anything podcast, we do answer serious questions with serious answers. Um, and I've got this wacky guy named Joe Saul Cihai who joins me Uh-oh. to answer such questions. Yeah, and we have so much fun. You have a great time. So that's on the Afford Anything podcast if you want to actually learn something. Oh, that's... Uh, myself and Joe Sal Cihai imparting knowledge. Crazy talk. What, what kind of show would do that? Exactly. Mr. Mr. Penzo, tell the eight ball thank you from all of us, from humanity. Thank you. Well, I'm sure it's uh, if it could talk, say anything other than yes or no, or ask me again. I'm sure it would it would say <laughs> you're you're very welcome. And by the way, big thanks to you, sir, for the help with the Plutus Foundation. Yeah, my pleasure, absolutely. That's, and maybe hopefully uh, in 2020 we can uh, do a clean sweep. That would be fantastic. Tell us what's I made the I made the mistake. I made you go after Paula, but no worry. She just said I'm going to be on the show, so. <laughs> That's that's beatable. Well, yeah, but she, she said she said that you would learn something too, and unlike where my blog, you don't learn anything right. either. So <laughs> you won't learn anything usually, but this week you will learn something because I have a guy named Joe Saul Cihai who actually wrote an article for me <laughs> many years ago, and I'm rehashing it. For old time's sake, do you remember what that article was, Joe? No, but I totally remember asking you if I could do it. Yes, and you did it, and it was a great article, and I just want to rerun it for the holiday New Year's weekend. And it's called How One Man – well, it's called Moron Alert. How One Man Paid $87,500 in IRA fees, basically, that he didn't (laughs) have to. Remember that? Yes. Well, I don't just remember the piece. I remember who did it. (laughs) <laughs> well, this is your story, oh. and it's it's really a really good story, entertaining story. Uh, so, uh, so and I kind of feel left out. Love it. And just so you know, Len, I saw that guy again recently at an event, and I got angry the second I saw him. It's like right? oh. it was the dumbest. Well, people have to go there and check it out. But it's a fantastic story. No, really good stuff. That's awesome, and that's at lenpenzo.com. And okay, Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, I'll tell you what we should have learned first. Take some advice from our Magic 8-Ball and be absolutely certain about the year ahead. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. And even if you fail, you'll fail forward. Second, wait, isn't that good enough? I mean, we're not going to top that one. That's as good a life advice as you're ever going to get anywhere. Big thanks to the Magic 8-Ball for making an appearance today. You can find your own less accurate play-along-at-home version at a discount or toy store or, you know, like dollar store or like a dumpster in a back alley. They're everywhere. 
Thanks to Ryan Falvey for stopping by. You'll find more on Financial Ventures Studio at finventuresstudio.com. Thanks also to Brian Karimzad for coming by early for his appearance on Monday's show. We'll get Brian a sleeping bag and keep him here locked in the basement. And you can join us back here for our annual Debt Cleanse episode, a.k.a. Oh, crap, I spent how much? Coming up on Monday. Len Penza was gold on today's show, wasn't he? Well, at least he's hoarding it all under his bed. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com and Afford Anything Podcast. All the Afford Anythings. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Okay, does anybody else have a iRobot vacuum cleaner? Oh, I do when it's broken and I haven't fixed it for like two years. So it's just they a giant paperweight. Yeah, they sell new ones. You just pick one up. This is the greatest thing ever created. First of all, it's mesmerizing. Like I've probably two bottles of wine so far in the, in the last two weeks since Christmas. Just sitting there watching this thing like make laps in the house. <laughs> Somebody seriously needs a hobby. Like if you can, if you get mesmerized, that somebody told me uh, when I saw my buddies this years ago, he's like, you can't watch the thing; it'll make you go crazy because it doesn't make sense to you, like the path that it takes. And then you're like, oh, okay, wait, maybe I can figure. I think it's gonna go over there next. And then it like literally stops, turns around, and goes like in a completely different direction. You're like, how does it know? It's so cool. Do this for yourself, people. Go buy a vacuum cleaner robot thing. It's so awesome. So how long does it take to do a, like a 10 by 10 room? Well, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to it yet. Despite the, the incredible amount of time you've spent observing it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it changes its mind so much. So like it really hasn't like, finished yet. <laughs> yeah, it does like it does like half the half the bedroom and then it stops and like goes somewhere else. And you're like, you missed this whole third of the bedroom. And then it'll go do the the uh, some other part of the house and then come back. 
but the first several times that it does it, what it, it, it like maps out like the house and then you can like divide up the rooms and say, okay, go clean the bedroom or go clean the bathroom or whatever. Like, so I don't have an answer of like how long it takes to do like the kitchen because right now we run it for like, I think it takes maybe like total of maybe five hours. It's got to charge once to do the downstairs. So it like does something and then it charges for like two hours and then it finishes it up, but it's only completed the house like twice but it's on all. It just like drives around. It's just amazing. It's really cool. What's fun is watching YouTube videos of cats riding on top of iRobots. <laughs> Ours is very protective. Like anytime the thing gets anywhere close to its food, it like goes over to the food and starts eating it. <laughs> <laughs> like it thinks it's in competition. Yeah, I think so. And like she'll just, she'll like sit up on the, the highest part she can in the room, wherever it is, and she'll watch it. But then like if it goes under a couch, mm-hmm. Like then she gets freaked out. She's like, where did it go? And she'll like run around, chase it, and then find it again. And once it's out in the open, she's fine. She'll just sit there and just kind of... By the way, that's when... Cost? How, how much those things cost? I want to say that it was probably like six or 700 bucks. Oh my God. Yeah. I, like there's different levels of them. You can spend 200 if you want. Lens out. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why I haven't bought a new one and, and I'm too lazy to fix mine. So now I've just had a broken one sitting around in a corner of my uh, my living room for years. Dirty floors, like you wouldn't believe, I imagine. Oh, yeah. You know, well, Filthy. I, the, the honeybee bought one for 450 bucks with a Dyson, really lightweight one. And I watch her do. She does the whole house in like eight minutes. <laughs> that is, you sit over there and watch her. By the way, you're send like, your you with a couple of glasses of wine. You're like, this is amazing. I don't know. <laughs> this is the best one pretty much she ever spent. <laughs> Send your hate mail to Len at LenPenzo.com. <laughs> Please don't send me hate mail. We say mean things about honeybees and, and vacuums. We we don't do that. Anyways, this is my greatest gift, you know, Christmas present to myself. I'm I glad like I'm glad you're inter- easily entertained. It's amazing. Yeah. And it makes little lines in the carpet so it like looks like your house. That's the other thing that's impressive too, is that you know you can just like turn it on before people come over and it like makes the lines like you just vacuumed. Well, somebody vacuumed the thing did. But then, you know, people come over, they're like, Oh, he just vacuumed his house. I can tell there's the lines in the carpet. <laughs> you know, I could probably build one for ten percent of the cost of what you paid for yours, OG. And it doesn't have to I don't have to worry about it picking up the dust. All I have to do is make sure it makes the lawn in the carpet. So people think so totally simplify it. Make it That's right. Yeah. Perfect. Is that an engineering joke, by the way, Len? Is that just flexing your engineering muscle? I can make that <laughs> for 10% of the price. Bam. Take that finance guy. What can you make? OG, a spreadsheet? No. I just sit with a couple glasses of wine and watch Mrs. OG make <laughs> spreadsheets. And I'm like, whoa, look at that. She made like all those numbers add up at the same time. That's so, amazing. That is so cool. I tell you what, between watching Mrs. OG make spreadsheets and your iRobot, that's a full life you have. I've had two straight weeks of just <laughs> pure entertainment. It's wonderful. Basically, so I was like, well, do I do I fly all the way to Chile for a chance of seeing two minutes? Okay, hold on. I'm going to get by Paula's 70-minute <laughs> dissertation <laughs> on cloud cover. There's different types of clouds. Uh, stratus, <laughs> cirrus, cumulus, cumulonimbus, stratocumulus. I'm really concerned. The cirrus clouds don't bother me that much, but the, uh, the low-level stratus or stratonimbus, those are really bad for eclipse watching. 
you know, cover is an interesting word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.